0: WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. Hi, this is Elmore Leonard. I'm I'm
1: listening to Film Sociology, and and, uh, it's, it's a real program. It's great.
2: It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the Multiplex in the Art House what's new on video and streaming, and you might also hear about some dead people we like. We don't
0: have time for dead people we don't like. <laughs>
2: anyway, this is Film Sociology, where you'll find out what's the next cinematic marvel...
0: It was unbelievable!
2: ...and what's just a movie.
1: SHUT UP! MY GOD! YOU HAVE NO FREAKING LIFE!
2: Okay, here's your host and my dad, Matthew Sosie.
0: Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocey, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew The show is available as a podcast, obviously, and it's also available on iTunes. And like all of the podcasts here at WFYI, they are available on Spotify. Hope you're staying safe, hope you're staying healthy, hope you're staying sane, hope you're being good to one another, hope we can get through another week. Um, I I know I took last week off for uh, – well, for holiday and for work purposes – um, I had to fill in for a, a staff member, and uh, and since it fell Friday is when, normally when I record the show, uh, it was New Year's Day, and I just wanted to get home and, and catch up on some movies for the end of the year stuff. So technically, the first Friday in January is the show anniversary for Film Sociology, and since uh, we, I took last week off, here it is, the start of year 13 for Film Sociology. I'm just as stunned as you are that we're still here. And uh, we're going to dip into the archives because at the time of this recording, it is the anniversary of Elvis Presley's birthday. So, yes, I'm going to replay my epic chat with John Krull, special appearance by former intern McKenna Mays, and discuss... The entire filmography of Elvis Presley. We'll get to that in a little bit, and we'll get to your picks for the best film of 2020, and then I'll give you my list. I I thought, I'm not sure, I might be the last film critic on Earth who uh, uh, giving out his best of the year because I waited this long. So anyway, we'll get to that in a little bit. I will say there's a couple of titles worth checking out on home video. I got to check out the best of the lot is a very cool documentary called White Riot about the rock against racism movement that was happening in England in the late 70s. Bands like the Clash and Steel Pulse, and uh, it was a newsletter and concerts, and uh, and just a really cool movement in response to a, a certain political party uh, trying to get themselves up on the rise, and also the fact that there were comments made by Rod Stewart and Eric Clapton. You can look it up yourself, but uh, but really capturing the the power of music and the and the power of colorless music so uh, and anytime I can see more of the Clash of Steel Pulse, I'm all for that so uh, a fascinating time in England in the late 70s uh, so go check out White Riot um, also out is a drama called Where I Belong it's a coming of age story set in the late 50s in England with an Austrian girl living with her father. And the the father is trying to uh, obtain the estate that he lost because of the because of World War II, and uh, and of course the daughter is trying to move ahead. But there's also the odd place of Austria's uh, role in World War II, and uh, and that comes uh, that comes looming into into this drama. Nice performances by the leads, and uh, and and worth checking out. The other one, this was an oddity. This I um, this was from Indie Picks. This is a South African comedy from 1984, and I I, I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing, but Opundo and uh, Kinsella, and uh, it's your basic uh, and uh, basic silent movie bumbling duo. I mean, think uh, makes uh, Laurel and Hardy look like Rhodes Scholars, and it's it's a series of vignettes. The film is only 72 minutes long, and I believe there's 13 vignettes involving these two bumblers. Everything from a driver's test gone wrong—guess what, they all go go wrong—a um, marriage, becoming hairdressers, dating a rich man's daughter, uh, looking for a, a family fortune in a haunted house, going to court, selling shoes. I mean, and it, it, there's references to the old silent era um, as far as the this, this comic team. It's really, 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 really basic comedy. I would love to see this in a theater with uh with a slew of children. This could be one of those saturday morning eleven a m screenings It is incredibly basic but there was a lot of films that were made in South Africa that didn't see the light of day or were deemed too controversial and were removed and and this was ex- I, apparently this was acceptable it's it's a fascinating oddity it's also thankfully short so if you're into really basic comedies or just seeing what was happening in South Africa cinema wise in the early and now there was more than that but we can't find it so Anyway, look for that on indie picks, Apundo and Kinsella. Man. Uh, so yeah, it's I'm also trying to catch up on movies that have been sent to me. These three titles, case in point. Um, you're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. I know it's been a it's been a couple weeks. So um all right, going to your picks, um, and and by the way, since it's the beginning of the year. And uh, it's been a rough week. I want to say again, thank you to everybody who has contributed with their movie suggestions and, and opinions on Facebook and Twitter uh, to, as being a part of the show. Um, I don't see myself going into a movie theater anytime soon. And so the fact that I'm able to uh, to watch stuff at home and at least give you some new film or newish film content um, and I'll get to how that. that's going to be even more troublesome later on, but, uh, but your contributions and the fact that, uh, when I get notes from people saying, hey, I watched this movie because you talked about it on the show, or in some cases for me, hey, uh, uh, somebody on Facebook or somebody on Twitter mentioned this title, I'm going to go watch that because it's on my pile. So it works both ways and, uh, I need you guys really badly. Um, just as much as you think you need me. So, anyway, thank you for contributing. And this time around, instead of just rattling off titles, I just want to know what your favorite film from 2020 is. And I'm not reading if, if it's the wrong year, or you're going to be a smart aleck. I'm I'm not reading it this week. So sorry. Uh, but we start on uh, Twitter with uh, Richard, who writes uh, at Rick. I can't. I'm butchering that at uh, Rickler's Men uh, Mank. Um at wounded kite first cow at fish called after love. Um so there's those. Going over to Facebook, Lou. Lou Harry says soul. Tony Armstrong says tenant. I gotta talk to him about that. I, I finally got around to watching tenant and um I I already got a heist film from uh from Christopher Nolan and I yes they they explain the rules very early on. Um it looks cool and it's but it's a, it's a bit cold. And uh and trust me emotional emotional connections are not always the strength in uh in the films of Christopher Nolan. This could have used that. Uh Chris Lloyd says Ma Rainey. Uh, Sam Watermeyer says, another round. By the way, you can go to the FilmYap and the Midwest Film Journal and, uh, and uh, Richard Propes's page and check out their picks as well. Sam writes, another round. It brims with a beautifully human, effervescent spirit that took the edge off of 2020. Steven writes, Nomadland. Ellen writes, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Darren Lies says, I liked Soul and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom a lot. Darren, you have to pick one. <laughs> uh... Maya picks Enola Holmes. Um, John says Soul just meet, might be my favorite. Uh, I don't need to know what you, was not your pick. I just want to know what is your pick. Uh, Taylor says Emma. Evan write, Evan Dossie writes The 20th Century. Cassie writes Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Enola Holmes. You have to pick one. Um, Jason says this post had me realize the only film released in – 2020 that I watched last year was The Gentleman, um, and Rebecca chimes in, that's the only slash last movie I saw in a theater. Hey, it could be worse. It could be Bad Boys for Life. Um, Jolene says, Jingle Django. Seriously, it was the balm I needed. Joe writes Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and yes, Joe completely ranked all of the films you watched on the Film Yap. Eric writes The Old Guard. Dustin says Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Patty says Enola Holmes. Jamie says Wonder Woman 84 and Soul. I haven't gotten to see Ma Rainey's yet or Enola Holmes. They are on my list, though. Okay. Um, Chris writes Promising Young Woman. Um, Doug writes Hamilton. Michael writes The Five Bloods. Martin writes Nomadland. Daniel writes, of course, let them all talk, which I say today may not be what I'd say in the future. So, Well, I'm not asking next week, Daniel, so there. Um, Sarah writes the half of it. Uh, Lawrence writes, uh, first cow and Minari are running neck and neck. Um, Eric says, I've only seen – and by the way, Eric, thank you for your emails. I, They're really well-written and r- – Written and thoughtful and very cool. Eric Barker. Uh, I've only seen a handful of 2020 releases so far, but I was most impressed with Eliza Hitman's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Uh, Austin writes, Dick Johnson is dead so far. Still catching up. I understand. Frank writes, I'm thinking of ending things. Um, Andy writes – no, that's from last year. I'm not saying that. Um, Christian writes, I saw shockingly few movies in 2020. My favorites were Birds of Prey, Just Mercy, and – Just Mercy is not one – and The Midnight Sky. Sorry, Just Mercy got the – I believe the New York, Chicago, Los Angeles treatment in December, so it could be uh, considered. Um – Kim says, torn between critical thinking, Sylvie's love, and King of Staten Island. Um, And for the documentary series category, hands down, The Way I See It. Um, Kim, you know what? I finally got around to Sylvie's love, and I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, It was a cool, glossy kind of romance melodrama with an all-African-American cast, and and it was cool to see that story be told. Um, Abby... Yeah, that's from last year. Abby writes, I loved Hamilton. Andrew Drew writes, Soul or Palm Springs. Bob writes, One Night in Miami. Ron writes, The Glorias. Uh, Jeff writes, Tesla or Color Out of Space. Eric writes, Soul. Devin writes, The Prom. Wow, I've yet to... Can we have The Prom without the celebrities? Um... And Jeff writes a most beautiful thing. It's a documentary about a high school rowing team in Chicago. So those those are your picks. Um, going to my list. So again, I'm this is the only list I kinda do. So and uh, as far as I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm morally obligated to give you a best worst best list of the year. I'm not doing a worse because I just didn't see enough. And I wanna spend time with them. So um one and two are pretty solid. Everything else is kind of adjustable. And uh I'm happy to say one, the number of female directors involved in on this list, two, the number of strong female performances in twenty twenty. Sorry guys, this I mean, even stuff that doesn't make the list. Uh performances like Claire Dunn and herself, Sophia Loren and the Life Ahead. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer in Paris Exit, uh, Elizabeth Moss had two with Shirley and the Invisible Man, um, so just a really really cool uh, perform strong performances from ladies and f- female filmmakers. So, okay, um, I guess I want to mention as a couple honorable mentions because there is that gray area: you know, was it released as a film or is it on streaming service, what have you? But if you if you haven't watched it yet. Go see the uh the small acts film series from Steve McQueen, from the director of uh Ten Years Twelve Years a Slave and Widows. Um five excellent films about the West Indian experience in, in England, ranging from the seventies through the nineties, the if I remember correctly. Um really, really enjoyed all of those. Uh, also want to mention Hamilton because I think that's going to. Uh, yes, I'm. I'm. I guess I'm making my ten into twelve. Whatever. Um, and I think that's probably the most important concert film, and it, I know it's not a concert. It's a. It's a filmed play, but uh, I think this is for the film play. What um, D. A. Pennebaker's Monterey Pop is going to be. It's. It's the Monterey Pop of film perform filmed. Play performances um, it 's that good tells of, tells of, obviously love Hamilton and the fact that they were able to sh- film it over several nights, including a backstage or at least behind the set spot camera and, and a ceiling shot is really impressive so I just at least wanted to mention those uh, number ten the assistant anchored by an excellent performance from Julia Garner as the assistant of a Weinstein-esque, power executive, just a big old gut punch of a film. Um, number nine is I'm Your Woman, a really cool crime puzzle uh, with uh, anchored by a performance by Rachel Brosnahan for you fans of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, number eight, Promising Young Woman, a... Female revenge film, even if you if you just want it as is, still pretty strong with anchored by a, an excellent performance from Carrie Mulligan. Uh, number seven, never really, sometimes always, anchored by strong performances by Sydney Flanagan and Talia Ryder of a girl, teenager and her cousin who go on a trip from Pennsylvania to New York City for illegal abortion. And uh, the the Travels and the uh, and the obstacles that they go through. Um, number six, the twentieth century, and this this got our uh, I think our original Vision Award at the IFJA of a young Canadian politician and his rise to fame. Um, the best looking as far as production design and dated, deliberately dated acting styles of the early part of the twentieth century. Uh, just a lot of fun. Number five, Emma. Uh, anchored by a strong performance from Anya Taylor-Joy. And uh, another... uh, I think we're good on Emma for at least 20 years. Um, I know every generation has to have their adaptations of classic literature stories. Um, We're good. We're good with Emma. Um, Number four, the documentary Time. Um, The mother of six boys, uh, an entrepreneur who's trying to get her husband out of prison, who's facing a 30-year sentence. Basically a, a really... Well done, involved video diary following her plan, her perseverance, and not giving up. And uh, I, there, was an, there was an exhale I had at the end of this. It reminded me of the first time I watched Free Solo. Uh, number three, First Cow great anti-western with uh, John Massaro and Orion Lee directed by Kelly Reichardt of two guys working together uh, making a small business at the expense of title of the film Toby Jones is also in this and that's always worth checking out number two my number one and number two are the same winners and runner up from the IFJA I don't know if that's ever happened before uh, my number two is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Um I, I'm a big fan of the plays of August Wilson, and I'm really excited that Denzel Washington's going to be producing, or at least co-producing, all of Wilson's plays to be adapted for the screen. Um, if, if, uh, If you thought Fences was a bit much, this one's a little easier to swallow. Of course, the subject matter means a lot to me with the great singer Ma Rainey, excellent performance by Viola Davis. And uh, already Oscar buzz for Chadwick Boseman, not only for this, but also for The Five Bloods. And uh, I, I I'm leaning more toward Delroy Lindo for uh, as far as lead performance, but Chadwick's really good in this as well, and uh, Glenn Turman gets some love as as well. Uh, it's it's a fun dynamic, uh, kind of war of wills between musicians, not just the session players, but between the lead and the band and the producers, and uh, I I just. This was a film I didn't mind if it were three hours. I wouldn't mind if it was longer than Lord of the Rings. I wanted to stay into this world of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And my number one film is, is Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, uh, anchored by a strong performance from Frances McDormand based on a, a, a group of folks that travel from area to area, finding regional work and uh, not being homeless but houseless. And uh, like Chloe's previous film, The Rider, which was high on my list, with the exception, I believe, with the exception of Francis McDormand and David Strathairn, and they're, he's also excellent. The two of them are really, really good together. Um, everybody else are non-actors, and Chloe is able to get really moving performances on camera with with non-actors. And the fact that you have somebody as as gifted as Francis and David, to just bounce off it easily, effortlessly. Um, I was enthralled and really, really happy I got to experience Nomadland. So those, those are my picks. That's, so if you've not seen them, keep looking. They're, uh, they're out there. But uh, I hope you're able to check those out. And there's my list. Now what are we going to do next? Yes, you're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Before we get into the archives, we do need to raise the glass to uh, and talk about some dead people we like because, of course, we never have time for dead people we don't like. Before I get to the people, um, raise a glass to family video. And I... I uh, I live in an area where I, we still had one. You know, it's 2021, and they're now closing. Um, so some would say they've lasted way longer than anybody anticipated. I uh, I worked at a video store long long back in the 90s. I loved my video store in my hometown, and the independent video store has always been a favorite of mine. Now we don't have those. But the fact that um, – and especially when I moved out of town and um, the fact that the blockbusters you know, shriveled up, but family videos still hung on. And uh, it helped me when I was able to talk about new releases because, uh, you know, long story long, um, I'm on some mailing lists but not others. And uh, it, it just helped out if I wasn't able to see a film – or have it sent to me. I know first world problems, but um, the fact is, if I um, I was able to go to a store and get one, now I have to depend on Redbox, and if they come out on time the week the week of the of the video's release, but the way things are going now in the world, it's it's probably going to matter less. But I still like going in the stores. Uh, I've tried going in the last couple times, and man, the, it's like rats on Kenny as far as picking up gobbling up whatever is left so i might just have to wait on that but but i i appreciate family video for being there as long as they did uh thank you very much um and poor tanya roberts i mean it was she got the kind of got the tom petty treatment because she wound up announced her death was announced twice if you don't know and this was reminiscent of uh there were reports of Tom Petty's death hours before he had actually died. So uh, a publicist should lose a job with that. And uh, it's a short – I mean not i – I shouldn't say a short career, but pretty memorable career for Tanya Roberts, especially of uh, somebody of my age because she was an angel. She was on the last year of Charlie's Angels as Julie Rogers. She was a Bond girl with A View to a Kill. She played Sheena, guys – in costumes you know and played Kiri in the Beastmaster so from about 80 to about 85 um, that's a that's a good window for, for a guy like me uh, before that she appeared in films like The Last Victim The Yum Yum Girls The Private Files of Javier Hoover Fingers Tourist Trap California Dreaming um, after this did a lot of kind of uh, oh she did she was in Body Slam the wrestling movie with Dirk Benedict Whew. Um, and directed by Hal Needham, not a, not a not a big showy role there for her. But then she did a she did a number of uh, kind of straight to DVD, straight to video movies in the late eighties, early nineties. I didn't know there was a Blues Brothers animated series. Apparently, that was nineteen ninety seven. Thank God I didn't see it. And then she got a rebirth as uh, as Midge on that seventy show. So, but uh, but thank you, Tanya, you helped out for a young lad who uh, was young. Um, and then Joan Micklin-Silver, a film director, um, New Yorker, uh, not originally born in Omaha, but uh, kind of a cult follower, a cult filmmaker. And one of her films is on, it's in the great uh, Danny Perry Cult Films book. Uh, got notice for her film Hester Street in 1975. Made the, and I still can't believe this, I don't think this has gotten a proper release, but the uh, the journalism comedy Between the Lines and then the one of the ones she's known for is uh chilly scenes of winter also known as head over heels which uh introduced a lot of people to actor john Hurd, as well as uh this was i think one of the things peter Rieger did after animal house and uh but a, but a, a rise of new york stage actors uh, started emerging uh, in movies in the late 70s, early 80s. And and to a, to a certain degree, Jones films are a, a product of that. I also remember she did one of the first uh, TV movies for HBO, the romantic comedy Finnegan Begin Again, with uh, Robert Preston and Sam Watterson fighting for the affections of Mary Tyler Moore. One of my, my lovely wife loves, and I can't believe I don't own this, but 1988's Crossing Delancey with uh, Amy Irving and uh, Peter Riegert. Uh, the uh, romantic comedy P- Lover Boy with uh, Patrick Dempsey. And then 1991's Big Girls Don't Cry, They Get Even. And a handful of other uh, TV and feature films from Joan Silver. And right about an hour or so before uh, this recording, we found out about the death of director Michael Apted. The Up series. If you've not seen the Up series, go look for it. Uh, a series starting out with um, some seven-year-old children in England who are interviewed by a filmmaker, just kind of opening up, and we see them as they are. And they kept going back every he kept going back every seven years to fo- to follow up and see how they're doing. Um, talk about commitment. I mean, Richard Linklater knows all about that, and and this is a great. I'm sure this was a great influence on him, for uh, for that. Uh, that led him to doing films in Europe, like The Triple Echo and Stardust and The Squeeze. Uh, one of his ones that got I know picked up by Warner Brothers was Agatha with uh, Vanessa Redgrave and Dustin Hoffman. The thing, first thing I saw of his, and got him big here in Hollywood was Coal Miner's Daughter in 1980. Got to see that with my mom in the theater, uh, the romantic comedy Continental Divide, Gorky Park, First Born, Critical Condition, Gorillas in the Mist, which I liked, uh, Class Action, Thunderheart, Blink, Nell, Extreme Measures, did a Bond film, did The World Is Not Enough, did the one with Dr. Christmas Jones, yep, Enigma, Enough, Amazing Grace, and one of his last uh feature films, which uh, I know he helped uh, – co-direct, I believe, was uh, – well, there was uh, – the original director uh, took ill. I think Apted came in uh, chasing mavericks. So salute to Michael Apted. Before we dip into the archives with the uh, the breakdown of the films of Elvis Presley, you're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Uh, I want to do a follow-up from last the last show where I was discussing the uh, the box set from Time Life Home Video, Dolly the Ultimate Collection. I'm still going through it. Now, when, when I last spoke of the collection, I was talking about mostly, I, I, it was an excuse to talk about her 80s film work. And a, at the beginning of this collection was uh, episodes, full episodes of her 80s variety show, which... Um, at times, you know, some some parts were better than others. Obviously, that's why you have a variety show. But uh, as I was watching it, one of the segments um, was called Dixie's Diner, and it's not a comedic sketch. It's 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 uh, actually a drama one. And I remember Emma watching this, and she's not used to seeing dramatic scenes in a variety show. I think we automatically assume variety show all the sketches are going to be funny. That's not necessarily the case, and that was not the case in this. And there were a handful of these. I can't remember if, they, if uh, she did a Dixie's Diner with all of the episodes when the series, in the series run. But the best of the lot, and there were folks like Loretta Swit who did one. There was another one for Christmas. There was one of a, an old boyfriend who who's in town and tries to hook up with her. But there's one with Charles Durning. And, of course, they had worked together on Best Little Horror House* in Texas. And uh, he plays a traveling salesman. And as the scene goes on, he's admitting or not admitting to be, possibly being Dixie's father. And, uh, and Dixie, played by Dahlia Parton, will not have it, and they don't discuss it. So as I'm watching that, one, always good to see Charles Durning. And as I'm watching these scenes, I wondered if these dramatic sketches would later help out Dolly Parton while making Steel Magnolias, because you had the comedy of Nine to Five, you had the comedy of Rhinest- Rhinestone, whew, and the musical of of Bessemer House in Texas, and the fact that yes, there's some funny, funny stuff in Steel Magnolias, but there's also some heavy moments, and I wondered if those films, if these, if those Dixie Diner sketches, kind of helped her get ready to do the serious stuff in Still Magnolias. And so I guess there is a purpose and and I say th- that's I'm glad that she got to go through those. It's and also the fact that you know not everybody was doing dramatic scenes in a comedy comedy variety show. Then again, not that many people were doing variety shows in the 80s. So so good for her on that for for take, taking a chance. Now since then, um, there 's been her seventies uh not really a variety show, but a music show. It was a half hour and it was strictly music. The best being her collaborations with Linda Ronstadt and Emmy Lou Harris of course, they would later record an album together um there's been uh, episodes of uh of being on Oprah Winfrey's show back in the eighties I believe and uh as well as the i can 't remember Nashville Tonight. So I'm still going through those. I'm on the documentary about her, so I I will probably talk a little bit more about it on next week's program. Still going through it. Still going through it, but it's still it's still a lot of fun. And uh, so and it was sent to me, courtesy of Time Life Home Video, uh, Dolly the Ultimate Collection. Okay, now we go back to 2018 where I had an epic chat with John Krull, former host of uh, No Limits and the head current head of the journalism department at Franklin College. Special appearance by McKenna Mays who was one of John's students and my intern that semester here on the show. And uh, I think it was this was after the last episode of No Limits aired. And I've been wanting to get John on the show for a long time because I would appear on his program, No Limits, as, uh, as one of the critics talking about the end of the year in movies. So it was fun to finally get him in studio to discuss the films of Elvis Presley since uh, Friday, January the 8th, it's Elvis' birthday. So uh, with that in mind, and, and the fact that when I first reco- did this interview, Um, the show was only, was strictly an hour, so I had to, I had to break it up into two parts. We, we gabbed that long, but since now the show is a podcast, here it is. It's not a Snyder cut. It's better in its entirety. My epic chat with John Krull, special appearance and bell ringing by McKenna Mays, um, breaking down the films of Elvis Presley. Happy birthday, Elvis, and enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very special edition of Film Sociology. John Crawl, the host of No Limits, is here with me, as well as McKenna, and we are going to break down for you, the Film Sociology Public Radio listener, every film Elvis Presley ever made. <laughs> so get ready, get your notebooks, find find your top three. We're going to start at the very beginning, but I, I guess I should start with John. Where where did your uh, your Elvis uh, fandom begin?
1: Well, it was odd. Uh, it- it started when I was a small child, uh, and I'm going to date myself here. You didn't see Ed Sullivan. <laughs> no, I did not. But it, this is in uh, Marion, Ohio, where we were. My family was living at the time when I was about eight years old. It was the first time I was allowed to stay up late on a Friday night to watch a movie, and it was an Elvis movie, um, Tickle Me. Oh jeez. Which, uh, you know, uh, again though, there's an interesting story. There. And, you know, from that point on, I was interested in it. And, you know, as I as I grew older, I really became fascinated by his music and and, uh, you know, his range as a performer. Yep.
0: I, I thank slash blame my mother. <laughs> she was a huge Elvis fan. I remember being the one to tell her that there was a breaking news story back in 77 when yeah. he passed. Um I I've always said that besides Elvis being one of the great entertainers, period, he's also one of the great show business what could have been. Mm-hmm. You know, if uh, if he'd yeah, actually as much as he accomplished, is, there's exactly. still there's
1: a whole lot more, whole other levels there. If he had
0: bopped Colonel Parker on the head and actually toured the world and mm-hmm. had rights to his songs and made maybe a third less films. I mean, the possibilities were kind of endless in his case.
1: Yeah, and that's I, I assume that's the sort of stuff. We're going to talk about, but it sort of culminated too. Uh, you mentioned him dying in seventy-seven. My other great connection is I saw the last show.
0: Yes, you did.
1: I was I was there at Market Square Arena.
0: Willie Mays with the Mets. Uh, yeah.
1: uh, well, actually, my take on that was 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 different because I went in there. You know, I knew he even. I think I was eighteen at the time, mm-hmm. not quite eighteen. Uh, I went to the show. Realizing, okay, this guy's not 22 years old anymore. Um, He's not the hillbilly cat. He's not any of of those things. And I've got to say the performances I recall of of him singing a couple of the later songs, Hurt and and Bridge Over Troubled Water, Mm -hmm. were incredibly moving, incredibly powerful performances. Did he walk through a lot of the early hits? You bet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You bet.
0: One minute, 20 second versions of Hound Dog. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you could tell he was bored with it, Mm -hmm. but uh, which became kind of a, you know... Is a theme we probably will explore in right. the discussion here well, too.
0: I, my my only comparison I think of that I I never got to see him. I I we had a chance to get tickets to see him New Year's Eve nineteen seventy six. Oh, the at the show Pontiac there, yeah. Silverdome, and it just it just did not happen. But, yeah. but I think of of like when I saw Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry at the Chicago Blues Festival. This was in the late nineties, early aughts, and. When they were on, they were on. And -hmm. if they weren't, it was like Shaq at the free throw line. It was a a very loud clang. So Mm -hmm. you kind of had to take the the bitter with the sweet, I guess, in those cases. Yeah.
1: The difference between Elvis and Chuck is that I I remember seeing a Chuck Berry show where literally – he put down his guitar and started berating the audience. Yeah, Elvis right. never crossed that line.
0: Although, <laughs> if you go on YouTube, there we, are some rants. Yeah, there are, but they, 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 you know they never not
1: rarely directed toward the audience.
0: Though. No, they were toward the, the evil media that that yeah. is us. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, those somehow did not wind up on the RCA album. Having fun with Elvis on stage, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, yeah. there is an entire RCA album of Elvis talking to the audience,
1: saying thank you, thank you very much, basically <laughs> for thirty-eight minutes. minutes yeah, it's. Uh, it's uh, really not memorable. <laughs>
0: so. And that's and and if you look at those '70s albums, that's saying a lot. So. Yeah,
1: well, and that illustrates one of the problems. My understanding of that, too, is that that really that wasn't a, technically an RCA thing. Oh. The Colonel put that out through his own label as a, a side deal to make money himself, in part because he was you know if the reporting I've read is accurate he was deeply in hock uh mm-hmm. in Vegas because of his gambling problem so yeah so, so.
0: anyway all right with that in mind we let's start to break down the entire Elvis filmography you're welcome McKenna start us off where are we begin i know where we're beginning but <laughs> but you're moderating this so go
1: ahead
2: all right we're going to start off with um 1956 love me tender
1: well uh <laughs> It was it's an, not an
0: Elvis vehicle, it turned into one. It
1: did, uh in part because they wanted to graph some songs onto it. <laughs> it was the, uh, I think
0: the Reno Brothers was the original it was title. It was the original
1: title. Uh and you know, the the amazing thing there is that uh it really was sort of a B oh, western yeah. mm-hmm. um that became this uh, huge cultural phenomenon at the time because he was so big. Um you know, uh, that's something in 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 this age that we have trouble capturing because our, you know, our media, our culture, all of that have become much more fragmented, yep. much more compartmentalized. Uh, we can't even process something as big as Elvis or the Beatles anymore. In 1956, the year that Love Me Tender came out, he sold one out of every nine records sold in the world.
0: Period fathom that I yeah mean, you know, it's like that's like saying you know yeah uh, 1956 dollars yes
1: it's yeah right. no i mean it yeah. it's huge it, uh, it, which yeah. means that the you know it, i can't even think of you'd have to combine about six or seven different performers a, to have that impact a, now. i
0: think an attempt where they tried to do that and and this is a bad example and it's a, but it's uh, being able to cash in on something is something like from justin to kelly yeah. The the American Idol beach movie because American Idol at that time was red red hot and they tried to capsize on that and it well the results were mid 60s level at best and that's it's not that's not a compliment.
1: Yeah. The amazing thing uh, and you see all of uh, really the good stuff and the bad stuff that would come from that first performance. I mean, he there is a tremendous presence on yes. the screen. You cannot avoid watching the guy. When when he's there, you can tell he is untrained as yep. an actor,
0: or or it was really like raw. Yeah, and, and he loved yeah. James Dean. He, I mean, he thought he could be or want to be like a James Dean type actor. Came yeah. close a couple times, but
1: he did. And we'll get to we'll, we'll, get, to those. we'll get to those. But uh, you know, in some of it though, even that was sort of a a, a false trail for him because, yep. uh, yeah. Dean was Dean and he had his own private demons and all of that sort of stuff that he he was able to uh to communicate um you know Elvis's gifts uh were a little bit less tortured than than Dean's he was somewhat less confused I think uh yeah. and you know the other thing is that uh, you know places where he had success was really blazing his own trail not trying to be an imitation you know you you look at the music he takes a a big boy credit song and you listen to the original and you listen it's not you know it's not an imitation of the blues he's made it something else entirely different and you know by trying to be uh james dean he was working himself into a box when a, a large part of his career was about kicking the walls of the box down
0: very good. Exactly. And it, it's a it's a good Western. It's I mean, it's mm. it's a decent Western. It's more interesting when he's, like you said, when he's on screen because of that dynamic <laughs> yeah. and what he Richard, was going to do Richard
1: with Egan it. does not really radiate <laughs> magnetism.
0: <laughs> exactly. All right. I don't have a bell. I don't have a chime, but here we go. Okay. All right. Next.
2: Right. 1957, Loving You.
0: And this is like a 50, this is one of the quintessential 50s kind of troubled teen films because now you had films like Rock Around the Clock and... Uh, You know where you were incorporating rock and roll music into movies, and I mean, and they would. This would go even further in in the late sixties, but but the the troubled teen who becomes a star, and he he winds up doing a couple of these, Uh, but this one's I like this one as well.
1: Well, and really, uh, this one and then the next two, uh, Jailhouse Rock and and King Creole, are in some ways variations of his own story. Yes. You know, it's uh, about Elvis by another name becoming Elvis, you know, becoming the capital e. the, uh, the star. Uh, the thing that I find interesting about about uh, Loving You is I think that is most likely the closest we got on, on screen to what the stage performances were like at the time, to yep. what, because even in Jailhouse Rock or King Creole, the performances are highly stylized, yes. uh, you know, in part because there were Hal Cantor, I think, actually, who who directed um, Loving You, saw it as part of his his mission to capture some of the Elvis phenomenon. He went down there and I think he, he lived with Elvis for about a week and and drove around with him and it, saw some of the the performances and thought, OK, I want to capture as much of this energy as I can get. On screen, so that's what makes it makes it interesting. And then the the other model that uh, that disappeared, I think, later in the film careers. There's a solid supporting cast there too. Some very talented Elizabeth Scott, uh, you know, Wendell Corey, um, you know, w- talented people.
0: And we're yeah, we're gonna get to those especially mm. I think especially when we get into the '60s about um, who he had off coming off the bench. Yeah. I, yes, I like to mix my sports with my arts. All right. Yeah. Next.
2: Same year, nineteen fifty seven,
0: jailhouse rock. Not a bad year. No, no. Um of course the famous title track which he did the choreography for, um, although he never had stage yeah, well, dancers I on mean, stage. They know? said that they said well, that
1: right. but uh it actually had been choreographed. The choreographer said, Show me some of the moves you use on stage and, and then, then I'll, I'll I'll build a routine. So he so.
0: gets the second half of the and credit.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh but you know, and it's also One of the few, if not the only Elvis performance or movie where for the bulk of the film, he is he's supposed to be deliberately unlikable. Right. You know, he is a he is a hardened jerk uh, through through much of the movie. And that, uh, you know, in some ways that becomes a, a theme in the films, too, that the bad boy has to be tamed i have to kill
0: my phone that's yeah. <laughs> this is actually happening as we know it anyway moving
1: on
0: yeah. you were saying john so sorry that's okay this is yeah, this is your your pledge dollars at work folks yeah
1: yeah <laughs> well as i say he, he he was the bad boy who had to be tamed um and the you know that uh, to me has uh, has been one of the weaknesses of the of that film is that it is a you know a surly kind of drama with Mm-hmm. with with some great songs, perhaps if not the the greatest score in an Elvis in the Elvis film canon, certainly one of them. Uh and then at the end it gets really, really saccharine.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's still a fifties film. It is, yeah. All
1: right.
0: Next.
2: Nineteen fifty eight King Creole.
0: This is probably my favorite. It is mine too. It is directed by Michael Curtiz, the man who gave us uh Casablanca, among other things. Um you have Carolyn Jones, Walter Matthau, Vic Morrow. That's that's a strong supporting group. Dean Jagger. Dean Jagger. It's a it's a it's about as close to noir as Elvis is going to get, and uh, yeah, same thing. Kind of a yeah troubled guy who becomes a singer, but gets pulled into the seedy underworld of show business in New Orleans. And it's the combination of I think his acting and mu- music performances um, are, are some of the best.
1: Yes, I I would agree that, you know, the reason I was chuckling is I remember when I was in, in grad school and we talking with some friends who were film buffs, too, and they made reference to the fact that Michael Curtiz directed this one and talked about Casablanca and Yankee Doodle Dandy, and then I said King Creole. and History will have to judge which was the best, <laughs> <laughs> I, at which you, point uh, the conversation just descended from there. And Milos Forman directed <laughs> Hair. So. Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> Um, but, uh, this one I think is, is also, uh, part of what, uh, the music is fabulous. The supporting performances are, are really exceptionally strong. It's also, I think the most vulnerable we ever see Elvis yeah. on, on camera. Um, there is a part of, of, uh, him in part because he wanted to project that, that tough guy Surly, he wanted to be you know dean or brando and i don't think he necessarily saw the vulnerability in either of those actors too Mm -hmm. but he wanted to project that kind of masculinity that he didn't do wounded all that often or do it all that well right and in this we see that we see regret um and of course the uh, you know Curtiz makes beautiful use of, of the New Orleans location um
0: and that was a film that I mean I think I, I think around the same time Panic in the Streets yeah. was a film that was shot down there also beautiful black and white but yeah that was that was a city that wasn't I don't think utilized as much um cinematically then
1: well and I love that opening scene where he's standing on the balcony in the French Quarter mm-hmm. and, and you know they sing the song crawfish uh but it, it, there is just something about it that is is so evocative and so hypnotic, almost.
0: And I think if he had, if, you know, and this is, we can we can break down Colonel Parker, who yeah. you know, who who to blame on where the path could have gone cinematically. But that was that was a pretty high point. And uh, oh yeah, he was poised for which, a major film career at right. that
1: point. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and so with that in mind, next, <laughs> nineteen sixty GI Blues
1: yeah Um, this is where it begins to jump the rails yeah (laughs)
0: um because we have to make fun of him being in the army and and it's and juliet prowse is in it so she's i mean by this point we get to how good is the female and that's that's a terrible thing how good is the foil how good if there is one of the comedic sidekick forget forget music or storyline or Mm -hmm. anything else it's like who who is he working with and does it help prowse is good as far I think she's one of the better.
1: Oh, press and they ladies. had real, yeah, and they had real sparks. Mm-hmm. Um, I gather they had an affair too while they were <laughs> right. uh, they were making the Method. movie. But uh you know, some of that uh, is true. The, I think there was also a conscious attempt. We what we need to remember is that the rock and roll was still um, very much in its infancy mm-hmm. at, at that at that point, and uh, you know, at least in in show business everyone was convinced that this was a fad that uh it was going to disappear and that uh you know elvis was kind of a cash cow who you know if he was going to outlive the fad they had to try to transform him into something else uh you know and what they were looking at was really trying to to achieve a you know, a lighter, younger Dean Martin, uh, or something, something like presence that. like that, where he is this, you know, charming ladies guy who, who sings a few songs. Um, and they saw the movies also as vehicles for selling the records, of course, um, and all of that. You know, of these films, uh, that's part of what went on, on there. But I don't think we can we can let Elvis. Entirely off the hook on that because, uh, A, he was 25 at the time. He was old enough to assert some control over what he was doing. And even when he had, uh, you know, if you want to do something instructive, Blue Suede Shoes was re-recorded for uh, the G.I. Blues soundtrack. Um, Listen to the original recording that he did in 56. Listen to the one he did in 60 and then listen when he revisited in the 68 comeback special and you can tell there's a valley there mm-hmm. i mean he really did not care at all didn't put any of the fire into it
0: and we start we start shoving him into a studio with studio musicians who may or may not have the rock savvy but they could play anything
1: well and some of that also was the you know the contempt for what he was doing on the part of hollywood you know the the musicians even going back to love me tender mm-hmm. the people who were backing him You know, his his original group of Scotty Moore and Bill Black and DJ Fontana uh, auditioned to be his backup band in Love Me Tender. And the producers said, no, you're not country enough. Uh, Uh, So uh, instead they got, you know, Hollywood studio musicians, um, you know, who were were all but wearing sunglasses during a, you know, eighteen sixty Civil War drama. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. And by, remember, McKenna, as, as Bruno Kirby said in, in Spinal Tap, this is this is a fad. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. That's unfortunate. All right, next.
2: 1960, Flaming Star.
0: Another good director. It's Don Siegel. He had already done uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers and would later work with Clint Eastwood famously and uh, Dirty Harry, Skate from Alcatraz, Coogan's Bluff. Um,
1: and actually acted for uh, for Eastwood, That's and right. play Misty for me, played the bartender, That's if right. I remember correctly. And yeah. this was the
0: guy who had a reputation of getting, and kind of Clint would also imitate it, get it in on time and under budget, and uh, they, they, for the most part, would leave you alone. And Barbara Eden was in it. I always, I always had a soft spot for Barbara Eden. And this was kind of a serious Western where he played, the, the uh, for, for lack of a better term, the half-breed who has to decide which side he's going to fall upon
1: yeah for uh, it's very much a a product of of that period i mean there are civil rights implications there too uh, you know a statement um about prejudice long before it it got to elvis i think it was originally conceived as a vehicle for brando um and you know they worked their way down the pecking order as it were uh at that time but he turns in you know a, a really credible performance um you get the sense and i think it was pauline kale who said if he had used this and king creole as uh, building blocks he could have had a serious film career and you always get the sense that was the ambition mm-hmm. um you know he originally had not wanted to even sing in the movies and because he, <laughs> he had contempt for the musical as an art form, but that's, that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and all of that, and you know, found quickly that nobody, w- at, at least initially, was going to pay him at least the sums that Colonel Parker was asking for if, there, if he wasn't going to sing. Yeah, so, that's unfortunate. And they shoehorn. You know, the one weakness to that film, it's actually very, very taut. But because of that imperative, they sort of shoehorn four, I think, four songs like into it, where literally it is okay, we're stopping now for a musical interlude. Yep. The story will pick back up in a moment.
0: <laughs> it's it's like uh, the, the films of the '40s when the big band would get a cameo, like yeah, Calloway. or um my favorite, it's, it's it doesn't really stop the story, but I love Duke Ellington's cameo in Anatomy of a Murder, yeah. playing piano with Jimmy Stewart. It's just, a, but yeah, it is one of those things where okay, a musical interlude, go get popcorn. That's yes. Sort of yeah. Thing. All right. Next. Uh,
2: 61 Wild in the Country.
0: Another. Again, this is... You know, he, he another tru- ambitious project. Troubled, yeah. troubled man, and he's got, I believe, if I remember right, three girls to choose from. So it's a serious version of Spin Out. You have the nice girl, the trashy girl, and I think the teacher, librarian, that uh, you know, all of them want to help him, and or he needs comfort in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's not his East of Eden, but it's kind of that troubled youth upon uh, well it's close he's right.
1: a, you know he's a rejected uh by his birth family as it were and in this one you know he's he's uh you know there are all sorts of you know there are evocations of him as a, a would-be william faulkner or thomas wolf he's a southern southern writer although i think the thing is set has all of these sort of Southern atmospherics, but if I remember right, it's set in New England. So uh, you know, which means his his accent seems slightly out of place, Um, but you know, there is a resonance also to that um, performance as well. Uh, But the problem that it had and Flaming Star had is neither one of them did well at the box office.
0: Yeah, I think that, and that's a shame because, you know, the. They made money,
1: but they didn't make tons th- of money.
0: Yeah, and that would become a thing that uh, would later anchor the, the rest of that film. So, and by the way, shout out to Tuesday Weld. I've always, oh, liked, yeah. I've always well, liked
1: Tuesday Well. Well, and that, I mean, that cast may, may be the only one that really could stand toe to toe with the King Creole cast. Exactly. So, yeah.
0: All right, next.
2: Same year, Blue Hawaii.
0: <laughs> well, now the travelogues begin. Yeah. Um, First off, the better of the two Hawaiian films by default. Three Hawaiian <laughs> three, films. Oh, that's right. Three. Girls, girls, yes. girls. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, of course, the other, my f- other favorite snarky thing is, of course, his mother. He he is a he comes from a wealthy family, but he just wants to live on the beach and and have a rock and roll lifestyle, Well, studio version of rock and roll lifestyle, yeah. and uh, does not want to deal with Big Daddy or Big Mama, and in this case, Big Mama's played by Angela Lansbury who apparently was 9 years old when she had her son yeah, kind of like yeah. when she had her son Lawrence Harvey at the same age in the Manchurian candidate. Yes,
1: yeah, no, it, it's uh it's one of those guilty pleasure movies because it it really isn't very good uh in any way um you know the whole exercise i guess at some level is uh is redeemed by you know the the song most famous song associated with it can't help yeah, falling like, in love yeah, that's, which is a classic and the performance is beautifully modulated and all of that and sort of became elvis's anthem uh, his thank you to his fans correct. um but you know the whole thing uh he's not believable <laughs> this the situation is not believable <laughs> and you literally can see it's like okay we've got however many weeks they take to shoot this thing how many different hawaiian backdrops can we work in here you know we've paid for these cameras by god we're going to use did, them
0: did, did they shoot they shot some of that on location right yeah so they did that, so because I, he
1: did the uh, the benefit performance over right. there at the same time that's right. yeah
0: my I I have a favorite moment of that was my my wife was in the room with me. I was watching it one afternoon, and anytime I can get Lynn to look up from her laptop, mm-hmm. you know, just to notice something, oh, it's just, it's a big deal. <laughs> if she hears somebody or she recognizes, she'll kind of stop. And Angela Lansbury's first scene as the as the uh, kvetching mother, wondering what's wrong with her son, and you know, her and her husband, sh- son and husband shouldn't fight, and uh, she stops writing, watches the scene. Angela does as best she can, and you know, runs off. And my wife <laughs> goes back to her laptop and says, "Even she can't make this crap sound good." No, no,
1: well, and it's also <laughs> the beginning of the truly, uh, you know, it, it, it. The song has become kind of a punchline with several of my friends and me, uh, "Rockahula Baby," which oh, is, yeah. and uh, that scene has to be. <laughs>
0: look it up on seen, youtube <laughs> as to be
1: seen to be believed and the thing is I, I mean there is something that is oddly moving about watching that because you can tell the at that point the guy was still trying yes. <laughs> to make it work yep. you know he it, he's been handed this you know um piece of fertilizer and uh, I was and, gonna say, make chicken salad, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's been here. and he's really trying to make it something watchable, and you know, it's like he narrowly misses and just goes flying off a cliff. <laughs> so, at that point, um, it. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not sure I can I can describe it any any more fully than that.
0: Meanwhile, on the and, and and that became a story, like, I don't know how well you know the films of Cliff Richard, which is kind of, he's the English yeah. Elvis, and it was very, you know, the Young Ones was similar to that, of he came from a wealthy family, but he wants to, and, you know, his father is played by Robert Morley. I love cinematic genius. Yeah. You know, and they're going to tear down the youth club, so he's going to... Oh, Sean he's, Connery he's, and Harrison Ford, yeah. too. <laughs> uh, yes, and, and, and Sean Connery, Sean Connery Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Matthew Broderick, and family <laughs> yeah, business. yeah. yeah, yeah. So. We'll, we'll do that later, another show, yeah. Cinematic Gene Pools. But, yeah, but it's similar, you know, put, saving the youth center by putting on a show because you're ashamed of your, your rich lifestyle. So, yeah, that's the travelogues begin. Next. 1962, Follow That Dream. Uh, yeah. Not as many songs. I, I don't remember a performance in it. And although a comedic sure gift, there yeah.
1: Well, there are. There, yeah. are. there are several. I mean, he does Follow That Dream, which, which is well, one of the better albums. Gen-
0: generally, it's like the title track plays over the credits, and that's... Yeah, and it.
1: he does uh, on top of Old Smoky oh, and yeah. and <laughs> a couple of a couple of others. But again, it is and it's a comedy, and he shows some com- comedic chops there. Yeah, I this mean, was
0: a family that I think what they they, they yeah. declared uh, the land in Florida their own their own country, and you know just wanted to be left alone. And yeah, he's actually he's actually good in that.
1: Well, and it's odd because his character, you know, in, in some ways the closest. You know, com- point of comparison would be like Jethro on the be- Beverly Hillbillies, but it, it it's a much more subtle kind of take. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, when Max Baer Jr. was doing the the whole, he he couldn't help kind of winking at the audience, saying, "I'm just playing a character here. I'm really not." Like with Elvis, there was a real kind of sweetness and innocence to the performance that that uh, you know, even with something like that, he could have built. Yep. he could have built on it. So
0: we had we have a little bit of range between the musical stuff and the troubled, you know, the 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 angst ridden stuff, and then the touch it like comedy. Yeah, and yeah. I always remember there was uh, I guess a famous story that Tom Petty got to meet Elvis because they shot it down in. Oh, that's uh, right, down, down in Florida. Down in Florida, and nice yeah. locations. And that was another one. I don't think we saw a lot of the the Everglades or the you know the the non beach portions of Florida. You know, usually that was saved for. Uh, uh, where the boys are to make movies. Well, and
1: we're 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 going to get to uh, yeah. uh, perhaps one of the the great Elvis movie moments uh, in a little while. Another film set in Florida, Clambake. Yes, yes we'll get to that. Where later. you know you look in the concluding scene where Elvis's character proclaims his love for Shelley Fabre's character, and you look over the hero's shoulder and you see mountains, real Florida <laughs> mountains in the background. Like the so, like the
0: mountains of Muncie, Indiana, yeah, like illi- the Illinois mountains in the fugitive, or the mountains it, yeah. in uh, Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah. Thank you, Vancouver. So, yeah. All right,
2: yeah. next. Sixty-two again. Um, Kid Galahad,
0: another decent, decent film. remake of uh, you know the boxing picture, and your your trainer is a non-psychotic uh, Charles Bronson, and. Gig to be Young and non appears to be non-soused Gig Young. Yeah, um, decent.
1: It is. It, it's actually one of my you know favorites to to watch because uh, again everything seems relaxed. Mm-hmm. That you know the the performances are assured. Um, Elvis is believable in in character. Uh, you know, I gather that the the guy who did the training for. The boxing um, did not find him particularly gifted, which is a little surprising given all the karate he'd done and the -hmm. fact that he he seemed to be, um, you know, naturally gifted at movement and all of that sort of stuff. But it it doesn't that doesn't communicate on screen. I mean, the boxing uh, boxing sequences are believable. Uh, The romance with with Joan Blackman's character is a lot more natural and unforced than. They had, you know, like this brother sister thing going on in Blue Hawaii that was mildly disturbing. Yes. And, you know, here it it seems much more natural.
0: Yeah. So, underplayed, good bench. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A well a, a well done one, very well. Yeah. Next,
2: finishing out sixty two with girls, girls, girls. That's
0: right. Um, back to Hawaii. Back to Hawaii. Uh, Stella Stevens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I think there after a while like, was I, it
1: Jeremy uh, is it Stevens is the actor who sort of plays the foil
0: I think so this I think there there got to be I think I don't need Elvis in like danger or seeking treasure mm-hmm. I I think I think there's I'm I'm pretty good with not having those which we'll get to later in the yeah. decade yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, shoot it on location with Pretty Girls and, and kind of throw a story in there as an afterthought.
1: Well, and it had Return to Sender, another.
0: Another That was his last charting hit until uh, 68, 69? Well, no, because... Well, ma- major charting.
1: Yeah, because he uh, there's an interlude that wasn't associated with the movies. Actually, uh, Crying in the Chapel. That's right. Charted in 65, but... Um, but, yeah, and it's, it, you know, it's a Bumps Blackwell song and, and all of that. You you saw far fewer of those uh, top flight songwriters actually being associated with many of these films, too. So in addition to the movies not being as good, the music also um, wasn't as good. And, you know, he, and you could tell he was becoming bored with yep. it too yeah. uh, so yeah it it's it's not one of my favorites in part you, you know you talk about Elvis looking for treasure um with perhaps one exception Elvis singing children's songs to children uh just mm-hmm. doesn't seem you know yeah
0: my we'll get to my daughter in a little bit yeah
1: well and it's 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 uh you know, yeah uh, and, and you could tell that's another thing they decided that. There was a sequence in G.I. Blues where he did a puppet show show. and he sang Wooden Heart, which was never a huge hit in the United States, but apparently just exploded in Europe. Mm -hmm. And they thought, oh, there's money to be made from doing this. So that became sort of the trend of having him repeatedly in films, sing to small children.
0: Thanks, Bean Counters. Yes. All right. Next.
2: Nineteen sixty three. It happened at the World's Fair.
0: We are continuing our travelogue, uh the travelogue And children trilogy, again. And too. children, yes, right. And uh Yvonne Craig, mm-hmm. uh Batgirl for you uh for you guys out there. And uh he's a crop duster. All crop dusters should look like sixties Elvis Presley. <laughs> well well and, 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 <laughs>
1: and have uh the kind of wardrobes too. That's that, true. Uh, well dressed um, crop crop dusters. Yeah, no, I mean it was <laughs> I know a little bit about expensive clothing, and I could tell you, you know, the only crops that, that produce that kind of cash are generally illegal. So. I think they were
0: the Winter so, Kills producers. Yeah, yeah. And I think also this was, wasn't this for a lot of people, the introduction to the world? I mean, instead of watching the 10-minute short about the World's Fair, you've got a movie about the World's yes, Fair.
1: Yes, yes. And, you know, it was, the Space Needle was relatively new. You got mm. shots of that. Um, you know about the the best i can say about that movie is it isn't the worst <laughs> of them but you really began to see a a serious slide yep. here because it it it's like uh there's not even um a song there ultimately to re- redeem the I remember the, movie.
0: the song Relax that's the one where he's trying to seduce Siobhan Craig and she shows a little bit of physical humor being basically the cat in the Pepe Le Pew com, uh, yeah. cartoons. Yeah. Um The other trivia note, ladies and gentlemen, is and and it, at the World's Fair he falls for a nurse and and Joan that, O'Brien. Uh, Joan yeah. O'Brien. And in order to uh, uh, get closer to the nurse, he oh, hires yes. he hires a kid. He gives a kid a nickel. To kick him in the shins so he can go and see the nurse, and that kid was played by Kurt
1: Russell. Yeah, who later played Elvis in a TV miniseries, and the performance, Kurt Russell's performance Kurt, is phenomenal. Kurt
0: Russell has acted with Elvis, played Elvis, played an Elvis impersonator, yeah. and done voiceover for Elvis in Forrest Gump. Yes. So, yeah. um, and there's more Kurt Russell trivia involving this later. So, yes. yeah, that's but otherwise pretty forgettable. Yeah. Next.
2: Fun in
1: Acapulco.
0: <laughs> oh. Not shot in Acapulco. Um, <laughs> no. I, the two things for me with this. One Elvis and kids again. Elvis and kids. Um, Ursula Andress. Yeah. Or as my dad always said, Ursula Undress. I know. Because yeah. my dad is of a generation. Yeah. Um, but when when my daughter was into watching Elvis movies, I actually used a scene from... Use, I did an anatomy of a scene mm-hmm. with Fun in Acapulco because it's the scene where he he's a former uh circus uh trapeze artist and he there was an accident because it's flashbacks and serious music and elvis is goes to the pool and he sees the diving board and he has and serious music is playing and they cut to elvis and they cut to the board and then we get a flashback and i i talked to emma through this and mm-hmm. she's like oh you know i saw mm-hmm. her little cinematic light bulb go off and i went I can't believe we did Anatomy of a Scene, not with Bergman, not yeah. with Scorsese or Coppola. No, it was an Elvis movie, and this one of all, all of them.
1: Yeah, I, well, and this one was probably, uh, you know, the, they all fall <laughs> into there. At this point, uh, with perhaps one, maybe two exceptions going forward, we're talking about misses rather than Same hits. Same film three times a year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this one has a special, because it's, it's like the biggest missed opportunity because it, it is uh, a substantial cast, you know, of attractive and talented rising stars. I mean Ursula Andress, no. uh, yeah, she had just done Doctor No, that you know she was considered a huge emerging talent um, at, at that point. Alejandro Rey was in okay, it; that's um, right. he played. Kind of the foil, he you know Elvis had someone to work against who, who could hold the screen with him, mm-hmm. uh, and you know it it just didn't work in part because unlike King Creole or even uh, you know Blue Hawaii, it's set in Acapulco and apparently you know there there was some controversy. Supposedly, something had uh, a quote had been misappropriated to him that seemed to denigrate Mexicans, and they had security things, uh, security concerns about shooting down there. Although one might wonder, uh, given the Machiavellian nature of the Colonel, Colonel Parker's uh, saying, "No, it's more expensive to go down there. We can shoot in this parking lot right here, and everything will be just fine because it's Elvis." Look up the
0: Colonel's passport. That'll that'll help. Yeah,
1: explain it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next.
2: 64 Kissin' cousins
0: oh this is one of the worst <laughs> this is this is a musical based on the Patty Duke show yeah uh, got the, the the army wants a section of some of the hill country and Elvis is gonna help out because he has a, an identical blonde cousin which and and there's a little peak of sadness because you think about his his twin Dying at birth, and I wondered how much of that, if it any, resonated. Well, and
1: I think also uh, that movie, uh, you know, conforms to the, the worst stereotypes of Appalachian whites. Makes uh, the
0: Labner look like Tennessee Williams. Yeah,
1: no, I mean it, it's real. It, so you know, I mean, and that's the that's the part of the country, the cultural landscape that my my mother's people. um, come from so uh, you know I, I watched that and uh, you know I mean that uh, one presumes with a name like presley and all of that that that, mm-hmm. that that's part of the cultural landscape that that he came from uh, you know the humor um is incredibly forced and what there is of it it's always the hill people who are the butt of the joke yep. um so uh, there is a reason I think that uh, that he hated making that what movie. That? Uh, he hated wearing the wig. Yeah, there, um, and,
0: and there was also the the this was I don't I don't remember if they did a split screen like on the Patty Duke show, but there was always somebody some double with the back to the camera. Lance so Legault. Have, okay, Lance it, Legault. It was Lance
1: Legault, and there's actually a pretty famous scene near the end of it when they're shooting the big finale. Okay, and this was. Uh, you know a production of, of Sam Katzman whose nickname was Sam Quickie Katzman yes. because he did uh films really really briskly um and really really cheaply and you know so the colonel had found his guy there oh, God. um and there is a a scene where they're shooting the big finale where everybody's singing uh, you know and i think the camera guy missed missed the shot or whatever and you can see there's Elvis and there's Lance Legault standing side by side, and you can tell clearly that it's Lance Legault. Somebody points it out, Katzman says, no, I don't want to spend the money to get it again. So it goes out that way. The whole thing was shot in three weeks. Oh,
0: gosh, and it shows. <laughs> it does. And, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, at the time this film, nobody had planned on home video. Yeah. It was just it was just going to air, and even if somebody had a quick eye and went, is that... You just move on. You could you couldn't find it again unless it came on TV. And again, you didn't have a pause button.
1: Well, and you know the amazing thing is, the film that that she's going to talk about next, "Viva Las Vegas," call us on, actually was shot before "Kissing Cousins." It's that
0: they went through it that fast. And
1: and part of it, we'll talk about the implications of this sequence because this is really the point when Elvis's film career just jumps the rails completely. Um,
0: And with that in mind, next.
2: Viva Las Vegas.
1: Of the
0: frothy comic musicals that he would pump out three times a year, this is the best.
1: By far. By far. By far. Uh, You know, it co-stars Anne-Margaret. The
0: last real, well, up until, and we'll get to a couple other actresses, but the last real actress that could stand toe-to-toe when it came to performance singing, sexuality, um, comedy. I mean, they, they bounced off each other oh, really, and, really and well they on had, and off.
1: And they had, yeah, tremendous chemistry. They had an affair as well. <laughs> Um, which I gather was sort of a commonplace for him. An with, actor with having an his. affair with a leading lady. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a. <laughs> you know, as I said to a, a friend once who was going through a divorce and bought a waterbed and, and all of that, I said, you know, you're one set of neck chains away from becoming a cliche. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, in, in this case, uh, it worked in part because it also, the pacing was incredibly brisk. Mm-hmm. You could tell he cared yep. about what he was doing. I think one of the best moments we have of him um, on film is when he's in that that scene where he thinks he has lost Anne Margaret, yep. and you know it's he, he's he's not acting initially. There's kind of a voiceover performance of of a ballad. I need somebody to lean on, um, but he is conveying all of the confusion and the pain and the hurt and all of that, and you realize, you know, if this guy had been given good material, he could have been something special, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which gets to your point, the you know, about the great might have beens. As much as he accomplished, uh, you know, moments like that tell us that, that it could have been a heck of a lot more.
0: And that film did well. It didn't do great. And because I, I read, I was at the commentary track on this, is but because it wasn't a monster, monster hit, Colonel Parker went back to Sam and just started pumping out.
1: Yeah, and well, and I, there was a lot going on at the point that that, yep. that came, came out. Um, in part, the Colonel was not on board with having, you know, Elvis share the screen with, with other strong presences because crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he he in fact was complaining all the way through the production that Anne Margaret was getting too much screen time, uh and and all of all of that. Uh but the other thing that was going on is at this point, you know, Elvis had been the biggest star uh in music for close to a decade. And he had his first really serious threat: the Beatles had yep, arrived in America.
0: I remember what was it? I, I'm sure there have been several articles, and you can find those of what songs the Beatles were doing that year and what songs Elvis were doing that year, and mm-hmm. you see the writing on the wall of that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a fun. And by the way, after this one, I'm I'm good with no races, no racing, pretty yeah. much for the rest of for the rest of whatever. Also, the, with the power of the pause button. They do a a really fun uh, duet of uh, What I Say, and in the gymnasium, one of the dancers in the very front, if you push pause, a young Terry Garr. Yes,
1: she did several of those. Several of those, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I don't know. I have to look if she's she's been interviewed talking about those. I'd like to figure out how she got involved. I've
1: seen, I think she was, uh, when she did a David Letterman show years ago, she talked about... being in several of the Elvis movies, cool. I have to
0: find that. So, yeah. all right. So, yeah, that's that's one. Here we go. Next,
2: Roustabout. about.
0: I actually like this. Another, it's another example of apparently Colonel Parker never played tennis, yeah, because you need somebody equal or better to bounce off of, and he got a chance to work off Barbara Stenwick, and it's not bad. Um, it's a carnival story so about the tr- well troubled twenty something uh, mm-hmm. working in the carnival, and but I, th- I I like the work he did with Stanwyck.
1: Yeah, well, and I th- you know when I watch that film, mm-hmm. uh, I can't even remember the the actress's name. The you know the young ingenue type that, mm-hmm. that Elvis is supposed to be in love with, uh, in part because. Even when I watched it when I was young, I thought, why, or oh, why, is he chasing after this little girl when Barbara Stanwyck is available? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, why? And, uh, you know, that would have been a bold That's and interesting, an interesting choice. Story. Yep. Um, to to go uh, w- with that route. You know, again, and that, it shows, you know, one of the, the big musical moments there is... Uh, You know, he does an old R&B hit, Little Egypt, Mm -hmm. and does it with Conviction. It comes back again, obviously, in the the 68 comeback special. Um, And, you know, uh, and I think that album was the last one to go to number one uh, for him, maybe in the 60s. I mean, even the stuff at American Studios Mm. and all of that, I don't think topped the... The charts. I don't think he got back to number one on the album charts until Aloha from Hawaii. Wow, that's a and there's some, yeah.
0: there's some good stuff in the late sixties early seventies.
1: Yes, so. yeah, really good.
0: All right, next,
2: 1965, Girl Happy,
0: <laughs> Elvis on Spring Break. Yeah. So, but, but he's not on Spring Break. He's on jo- he's on duty on Spring Break, following a mobster's daughter. Um, this is the first of the Shelley. Shelley uh, God, right?
1: Let's see, yeah, let's see. It was uh, Girl Happy. Spin out, uh, and then Clambake, and
0: Clambake. Yeah, John Fiedler has a has a bit in this for you fans of uh, uh-huh. Winnie the Pooh, the voice of Piglet, but he's the the kind of nervous uh, motel manager. Yeah. and this is this is already after where the boys are and Palm I think Palm Beach Holiday. I mean, all these and the kind of Frankie and that type stuff.
1: Well, and you could tell among other things they're they're beginning to struggle with uh, what to do with uh, the fact. Do- that uh, that Elvis isn't 22 Great. anymore that uh that um you know he, around that time he'd turned 30 and you know it's less so now that we see the you know the rolling stones continuing to do rock and roll into their 70s and these acts performing it's not as big a deal but at that time uh, if
0: we were 30 and hanging out in fort lauderdale uh there'd be a problem
1: <laughs> well uh, well and also that the whole notion of, uh, i mean it wasn't that far away before uh, you know the who were singing i hope i die before i get old you know it yeah. it's uh so it, it really was a a concern that you know this was only about the kids so <laughs> i always thought okay you know instead of making him the young rebel type the threat to order and uh, authority We transform him into the, you know, the school chaperone now. Right. Um, uh, And, you know, that works about as well as you would anticipate. (laughs) We wish all, I'm sure a lot of
0: ladies thought, they wished all chaperones Uh, looked like 30-year-old Elvis. Yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Next. Tickle me. Oh, jeez.
1: The only thing, and uh, maybe because this was the first Elvis movie. I understand. I, I saw, I have a sentimental attachment to it, even though it is not a good movie.
0: Elvis at a dude ranch, and there's a treasure, and there's bad guys a floating, the,
1: and they're all dressed in masks, That's and, right. and it's a haunted dude ranch. So it's you know yeah, it's, a, it's
0: it's a Scooby Doo episode basically before Scooby Doo came out.
1: But this is one place where um, the Colonel's cost-cutting instincts actually, I think, helped the movie. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that it probably never should have been made, <laughs> <laughs> but because he did not want to go to the expense of recording a new soundtrack Mm -hmm. the soundtrack all the songs are taken from early 60s elvis studio albums so you're hearing uh you know there are several cuts from uh what is one of elvis's best albums elvis is back the one that that he he recorded right after he got out of the army and just screams, release, I am free <laughs> mm-hmm. again, and I can do what I want, those are, you know, that makes the soundtrack. And I think that's part of what spoke to me, is because when I, I look at that, and you look at the movies that sort of surrounded in that period, there's no comparison.
0: Correct. That's correct. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to maybe give that one another shot. But um, I understand. Well, You're, you can your turn, if, is... you know,
1: the, the other thing is that uh, I think the... the um, you can spare yourself the pain associated with the experience by just ordering the soundtrack album through the follow that dream label so you can just ah, hear the songs
0: very good and i know i think they was there um they did an elvis's back deluxe edition
1: oh yeah oh yeah and that that's phenomenal cool
0: it's all right phenomenal. next
2: harem scarem
0: <laughs> okay of um, <laughs> Elvis on a movie set, and there's a kidnapping, and, and then there's songs. And that's kind of...
1: And he's, a, he's supposed to be this movie star who's kind of like...
0: Who looks like this Rudolph s- Valentino.
1: Sure. But, uh, because he's a sheik, at least, that's in me. one of the initial scenes. Not the wrestler, the sheik. Who somehow manages to kill a tiger with a single karate chop. Um, and all of that. But it is... Uh, I wish I could say this was the Nader, <laughs> but no, it, 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 keep, it keeps it going. We're only yeah. in 1965. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. I, my story with this is I had friends at Ball State who took a history of music course taught by a man named Ralph Strobel. I guess you have to look this up, but um, the last week of classes, they finally got to rock and roll, so my buddies were really excited, and then he says, we're going to listen to Elvis, and they get really excited. He plays the harem scarum soundtrack because Ralph Strobel apparently played Oboe on the studio, on the session for oh the boy. film. Oh so boy. take that. Well <laughs> from some Shostakovich and, and the uh, Elizabethan era to Harem Scarum. And the
1: other thing is that uh about that movie you can tell he is at some level checking out. Um yep. he's not quite at the point where uh, you know, in a couple of the, the later ones, Clambake that we've talked about already, and mm-hmm. Easy Come, Easy Go, if you watch closely, you can actually see him looking off to the side and reading the cue cards. It's
0: like a Saturday Night Live guest. Yeah, no, I mean, it's
1: really... Uh, and, um, you know, he'd always, at some level, tried to take the music seriously up to up to this point, but yeah. you can tell on several of the songs, okay... And if you li- you know, this stuff's now available. They have a lot of the the outtakes and you'll hear him saying things like, I literally do not know what to do with a POS like this. You know, I just don't know, yeah. you know, how to how to sing it, how to how to make it believable. That's
0: not good if you're a singer. No, not at
1: all. <laughs> so. Not at all.
0: Next.
2: 1966 Frankie and Johnny.
1: Another disappointment.
0: Yeah, you had Donna Douglas. Already uh, for you fans of the Beverly Hillbillies, you had. You, this is a film that has Harry Morgan singing. It does. And well, it, it's not. It's well, it's, kind of
1: super, it's one of the Jordanaires. Okay, but, fair uh, enough. Yeah. Uh,
0: but it, but it was, it was sort of a break from the mold because it's on a riverboat and it's supposed to be. A, let's take the the old standard Frankie and Johnny and stretch it out into a ninety minute movie, and you probably get about sixty minutes worth.
1: Well, and the problem is that. You know, the whole Frankie and Johnny, the the doesn't, song. Doesn't would, end well. No, but it would have made an interesting story yep. and an interesting movie because it's about betrayal. It's about expectation. And in, in its way, it's a, you know, it's a, a, a story song about mature people and all of that. Uh, and instead, it's just a light and frothy with costume a, drama.
0: With a tagged on ending. Yeah, where he spoiler alert on a fifty year old film, but a a flask keeps a bullet from hitting him. Not since the film version of Our Town, yeah. when we when they wake up and realize it was all a dream. I'm like, yeah. really, you are gonna pull that stunt? Yeah, ooh,
1: yeah. No, it was. Uh, it, and again, you you look at the uh, the places where the uh, the thing could have been turned around or resurrected. Um, this is another one of those huge missed opportunities. Yep.
0: Next,
2: Paradise Hawaiian Style.
0: Okay, we already we.
1: <laughs> this is the nader, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> this is it. This is it.
0: Didn't need two films set in Hawaii. Didn't need three films. Well, didn't need this. Did not need this. Yeah. Um, th- did you ever see the film Heaven Help Us? No. It's an underrated. It it's kinda it, it's uh from nineteen eighty five and I'll get to the film, but um but it's set in a Catholic school in the Bronx. Young Andrew McCarthy, young Kevin Dillon Donald Sutherland is the head of the, uh, the the Brotherhood. Wallace Shawn has a cameo. John Hurd is the young kind wow. of hip. Yeah, Mary Stuart Masterson is the girl. It's kind of it's kind of advertised as a horny teenager movie, like a mm. Animal House. Mm. It's got a lot more heart to it. But there's a scene where the Pope is is riding through New York, and the the four boys, five boys, four boys, young Patrick Dempsey is in it as well. They skip out and they go see Paradise Hawaiian style, and. Kevin Dillon's comment as he finally lights up a cigarette in the theater and looks at the screen and says, what did he do with Elvis, cut his balls off?
1: Yeah. And
0: that's And Well, literally and figuratively, I guess. and yeah. More figuratively, so.
1: Well, and it, it's, uh, I mean, uh, let me put it this way. In, in uh, one of the songs in there, and there are several Elvis contributions to Hell's Top 40. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh we'll but, have that list for another show yeah but uh, but a dog's life is is yeah. is, is certainly there um, and you you know and again i think the thing that is is so disappointing about it is you could tell even with that soundtrack though that he's trying new vocal approaches anything to try to make it work if there's anything that has even a modicum of value to it you know there's a much fuller sound to his voice and all of that you could tell he had done some some extensive training and all of that and you think oh god all that effort yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, for something that is you know would have to improve considerably to be awful so yeah Yeah,
0: these are quotes you won't see in the ad campaigns (laughs) no no (laughs) next spin out okay um another racing film elvis with three girls um, now, th- somebody has told actually was, uh, one of the people, somebody who works here, that there was a the, the theory was that somebody tried to make a spoof of an Elvis movie, mm-hmm. and that this was it, and but it wound up being played straight. Have you heard that? Uh, I have not heard that. Okay,
1: but uh, you know it's uh, again, I, you know, uh, race car driver, three girls, to choose now, from. now <laughs> the one thing I will say is. Uh, um, it was a shorter soundtrack yes. for the film. Um, so to and every movie, with a few exceptions, had an album associated with it yep. released. Uh, and even when he wasn't selling at the nineteen fifties level, you know he was he was still selling at uh, you know two hundred two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. albums for even some that weren't particularly. Good, uh, you know the soundtracks. This one to flesh it out to get it to album length, um, they added what they called bonus songs, which became a new thing. Yep. But in this, th- in this case, uh, there is an absolutely exquisite cover of Bob Dylan's "Tomorrow Is a Long Time." Right. That is just, you know, it's it's five and a half minutes long, um, and just this really, really lovely rendering of of that song. Um, you know, he does I'll remember you for the first time. He's recorded that and this is at a time you can tell the guy is almost desperate to get back into the studio and do something yep. that has some meaning instead of all of all of this.
0: Wasn't this the film that had Do the Clam?
1: No, that's girl happy. Oh, I'm so, I, I stand. That's, that's another Did, one of Hell's, to, Hell's for, top 40. Written
0: yeah. by was it Dolores Taylor? for you Ed Wood fans out no, there. No, I,
1: I I hate to tell you this, but uh, the, even as bad as some of those songs will uh, are, some of the songs uh, they still are not going to knock Billy Don't Be a Hero out of the number <laughs> <one> spot. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna get I'm gonna get John Crawl's Hell's top 40 <laughs> okay. later, but that's fine. Right. All right. Next.
2: 1967, Easy Come, Easy Go.
0: Oh. Um. Okay, so going after Sunken Treasure, former Navy guy. Um, Pat Harrington is your comedic uh, sidekick. I've, I've and renders good Pat. service. Yep, we and uh, Pat Priest in a bikini for you fans of the Munsters. Yeah, And of all things, I think one of the final performances from Elsa Lanchester as a... Th- this was also a film that... This was a major studio that was... This was... That time where you started to poke fun at the counterculture. Well, they do that in this.
1: Yeah, and some of it is also. um, Again, you look at at, uh, this in the context of what was going on in Elvis's life. It's a time. This is a guy who was who, who, you know, uh, the perception of him is that he was just sort of this, you know, um, unconscious artist that he didn't think through anything or any and you know if you listen to the recording sessions and the kind of choices and the fact that almost inevitably well not in almost inevitably he was producing his own sessions Mm -hmm. from from the beginning you know basically from the moment he left sam phillips down in memphis till the day he died he produced his own sessions uh but he knew he was lost he knew he was adrift he had turned increasingly toward Eastern religions and alternative lifestyles, he, you know, and was really on this spiritual quest and had begun dabbling in yoga and another one of Hill's top 40. Yoga here. is as yoga does. Yoga is as yoga does, which is designed to insult that yep. whole movement. And, yeah, you know, I mean, he looks incredibly uncomfortable while he's doing it, not just because it's being played for comedy, but he was smart enough to know that he was being insulted yep. at that point.
0: There, there, there's a scene of body painting—you know, girls in bikinis being rolled in paint and rolled. Yeah, because that's that was the big studios' impression of the counterculture. You know, not you know, because because making fun of Dobie Gill—you know, the the beatniks of the '50s and the hippies of the '60s. Well, they, yeah. they're they're easy fodder when you're a big studio, even though the studios were starting to crumble at this time. Yeah next double trouble okay um elvis in danger d- don't care mm-hmm. um elvis in europe not in europe in, in the in the mgm the universal uh, mgm ua lot but uh, not a film that's going to age even more so in the Me Too movement because you have Elvis teamed up with a 17-year-old girl. Well, and the, the running, actress was not 17. No, but the but character. The is character, supposed to be 17. And the running bit is they keep waiting for her to turn 18. Ugh. And even, General Burkhalter from and, yeah. my, and Michael Murphy are in this film.
1: <laughs> even though he is, uh, you know, the, they've set it up so that, you know, and this is again sort of about the neutering of of Elvis Presley on 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 film too uh you know the the Annette O'Day who was the actress Correct. is sexually the aggressor all the way through the movie which you could tell that they were queasy about this even even to uh to begin with although it's odd i mean it to some degree what was going on in Elvis's life was His that he was waiting? Wife, yeah. yeah, he was waiting for Priscilla to get old enough so he could marry her. So
0: this is Elvis's version of charade yes. or walk, don't run. Yeah, and, and he's not it, Gary Grant. But <laughs> it, you know, and and it
1: might have been workable if it just, it you know. It, this
0: song, this film also features him singing "Old MacDonald."
1: Oh yes, yes. <laughs> oh, top forty oh. one. Oh, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, and uh, you can tell that they they don't. Uh, I mean. The traditional sort of Tin Pan Alley songwriters they were going for, the professionals, you could tell even then at that point, up until this point, uh, you know, musicals by and large often, uh, you know, the ones that weren't taken from Broadway musicals or or weren't conscious artistic things would have filler songs in them or things that weren't, but they they were well-crafted. Elvis's early films, even if the songs were not great, you could tell there was at least a level of professional craft craftsmanship there the big what is supposed to be the show stopper song here uh is long-legged girl with a short Short dress on on that clocks in at like a minute and 20 seconds you could tell okay i wrote a verse i'm done give me my check (laughs) you know i've fulfilled my obligation
0: no three-hour musicals in the elvis canon at all no next clam bake okay uh race uh bill bixby is your foil and my daughter, when she was younger, this was her favorite because it was her first time of seeing Elvis sing The Children. Yeah. And that's really a it. Which is and unfortunate because <laughs> that may
1: be the single worst Elvis sings to children song. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the song is there, called Conf- a, Confidence, oh, yeah. which is supposed to be kind of Elvis's answer to Frank Sinatra's High hopes. hopes. But it's like he spells it out, goes... C O M F I D, and then at the end of the song, it's like, oh, you can tell the songwriters decided I can't make anything else work with this, with the, the rhythm scheme or or rhyming or anything like that. So we're just going to say ants, yep. <laughs> and he moves on, and yep. it is it is truly atrocious, but again, and this is even even in uh, the worst films, you see these. Uh, Moments, and this, by the way, I think is one of the worst. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've already referenced the, you know, the the mountains in Florida and and all of that. Um. And he sings another song about goop. Yeah. Uh. In there, which has to be seen to be believed. <laughs> but then there is just this absolutely um, exquisite rendering of you know song made famous by Eddie Arnold, Marie Charles. You don't know me. Yep. That you know, is sublime. And the fact that it is in this, you know... Not chicken salad. M- ...mountain of feces <laughs> is is what makes it, you know, all the more moving.
0: It's it, it's a, it's Steve Carlton winning a Cy Young with the 72 Phillies. Yeah. 27 victories, 62 wins as a whole. Yeah. So, there you go. Next.
2: 1968, Stay Away, Joe.
0: Okay. Ooh. We, we we said earlier about Elvis playing a half breed in *Flaming Star*, and this is in the time honored tradition of your. I don't. This is not at the Idle Jorg. This is no. not. This is your your great cinematic Native American characters: Burt Lancaster, Paul Newman, Martin yeah. Landau, Chuck Connors. This, this is bad. Oh, <laughs> and it, it's it Burgess Meredith and Joan Blondell, and it's supposed. There's a to be lot a, of talent wasted. Yeah, in it's this movie. it's supposed yeah. to be a rollicking hell. I believe the 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 the. Subhead for the poster was he doesn't say how he says when, it's it's yeah. that folks yeah
1: yeah and it's, and it's, it's uh, you know and Elvis is supposed to be this hustler you can tell they are trying to move him toward something a more adult kind of screen presence uh, you know because uh, Joan Blondell's character uh, you know there are allusions in the film that that her character and Elvis had a relationship earlier on uh you know now elvis is kind of chasing after her daughter uh, which creates some disquieting uh um elements and and all of that but that she was an the older woman in in yep. in his life uh and you know it's it's maddening it's odd you know a few years ago with my family we were on vacation in sedona where it was shot in you take the tour uh the tour? well, no, but it 's uh we right. we took a tour of Sedona, one of the the pink jeep uh tours that they do where they the the big thing is that they 'll run you up these really steep climbs on the on the thing because they 've worked it out and if it 's yeah. less for, but you know the guy's pointing out and say you know talks about the movies that've been shot in the area, and one of them he pointed out to like this Butte and said, yeah that if you watch the movie stay away joe there 's a very young Elvis. Singing up there, and I didn't say, Well, no, he really wasn't singing, he was lip syncing at that point. But, (laughs) but, uh, you know, getting the recording equipment up there might have been a little tough. So, um, but, you know, another thing where there could have been a possibility of, of an interesting story, uh, their scenery is yeah. is gorgeous. I yeah. mean, it's a, an incredible setting. Yeah.
0: And yeah, it was another one where it, it wasn't it wasn't quite the same film three times a year it was something slightly different. Well, and you but could tell he
1: was trying to break yeah. out and play a character who at least was somewhat closer to his age too. Yes. Um, I always remember he was in his early thirties at that
0: point. Uh, in th- actually, this year, of course, marked the uh, the fiftieth anniversary of the big explosion in downtown Richmond. Yeah. And this was the film that was playing in the theater at oh, the time wow. of the explosion. I've, we learned this through the Wayne County Historical Society. But my wife was a part. My wife teaches theater at Earlham. She was doing. A, she was helping out with a one act about that day. And I get the call from my wife going, "Do you have the sound? Do you have the soundtrack to Stay Away, Joe'?" Oh. I said, "I have the song <laughs> because yeah. there's the, the myriad of movie compilations." Yeah. I went, "Yeah, I actually have the title track. I'll bring yeah. it in." So you know, there, there's something out of that. I also remember Elvis got a nomination in the Golden Turkey Awards, written by the Medved yeah. brothers, of yeah. worst. Uh, I oh, I'm I'm gonna forget the category, but it's worst, worst racial racial stereoty- stereotype or, or something. He, he's oh. up against uh, uh, Chicano actor Robbie Benson yeah. in Walk Proud, and of course the winner was Marlon Brando in Tea House on the August Moon. that's, yeah. that's hard to top. So <laughs> yeah,
1: well, and you know, but again. Um, and I—it's been so long. This is not one of the films I have seen more than once. I think it once was enough. Uh, but you know, I know with this—you know—he did the sort of peppy "Stay Away, Joe" title track. Yep. But then there's uh, there was an alternate version "Stay Away" that is done to "Green Sleeves," that again is uh, you know is lovely, and and you think, oh, you know. It's like consistently the people who were who were who were handling him. You could see when we whenever we come to the fork in the road, let's choose the one that can do the most damage to this guy's aspirations yep. and his dreams and all of that. And I'm not relieving him of responsibility no, no, no. because he was a grown man. The he man very shot TVs.
0: He could have done something. He, to he his well, or and
1: he <laughs> was he was. You can make an argument that he was the most. Sing, single most powerful figure in entertainment for a mm-hmm. period of time. I mean, the Beatles, at least during the 60s, I mean, what we overlook it, we think of him as a huge 50s act, but he actually was the, the se- second biggest record seller in the 60s, too, mm-hmm. just so, behind the Beatles.
0: He just didn't have the rights to his own music until 1973.
1: Well, actually, no, it's worse than oh, that. Oh, worse than that? He owned the rights. The colonel sold them for a one-time payment. And then there was Jeez. litigation after that. There you so, go. Yeah. so
0: yeah, and the hits just keep on coming. Yep. <laughs> Next. Speedway. Okay. I,
1: I last I, real <laughs> attempt here.
0: Because and I, I I say no more races. However, Nancy Sinatra is not Anne Margaret, but she does closest have closest he's got. Yeah, gotten gotten to the closest it. since. And Bill Bixby. And again. Bill Bixby is this time comedic sidekick as opposed to Marmion Foil and Gail and, Gordon That's um, right. And um the oh gosh, what's William his William Shawer. Thank you. Yes, with the bus with the carload of kids for him to sing to. And
1: Sorry. probably the one exception uh to uh the Elvis should not sing to children rule. That one? Is uh, you know, he does a lovely uh, for anyone who's the father of a daughter. Yep. Um uh you know, your time hasn't come yet, baby. Has a real kind of emotional resonance that Correct. that, uh, and you know, I mean, when he and Nancy and he and Nancy Sinatra sing a couple of duets, you can tell there's some sparks there. Yep. Um, Let yourself go is a powerful performance. Yeah, that,
0: and that's the first. I think there was a couple of though. I believe you know, first off, club owner Carl Ballantyne oh, doing yeah. doing the spotlight yeah. when when somebody yeah. you know when a celebrity shows up into a club, they are forced to sing because they are famous. So yeah. and that happens in in this one. And 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 by, dear IRS, make more agents look like Nancy. Oh Sinatra. yeah, that's well. <laughs> speaking before we move on, right, though, right. we got to add another one. Yes,
1: to Hell's Top Forty. <laughs> He's your uncle. Not, not your dad. dad.
0: <laughs> People are going to YouTube frantically now with this with this Spotify Hades list. Yeah. So, next. Live a little, love
2: a little. Okay.
0: Um I I use the term with the romantic – there are certain I call them psychotic romantic comedies, the the Rock Hudson Doris Day stuff, um, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, um, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding. If normal-looking people acted the way people acted in those, you would need a restraining order. But because it's Julia Roberts and Matthew
1: McConaughey,
0: there's a woman that keeps him – Trapped in a house and, and, you know, in the water for three days. And, and cost him his job. And, 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 and there was also, this was, was, might have been the origin of the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. The same year was um Sandy Dennis in Sweet November, where she kind of takes over Anthony Newley's life in the same way. Yeah, and
1: I've got to say, I, uh, this film. Um, Michelle Carey. Is, is the, yeah. And, and Dick Sargent is in it. Dick
0: Sargent's in it, yep. Um, um and Go ahead. Yeah,
1: well, and, and uh, I'm trying to think who the... Well, anyhow, um, what's interesting is this is a film where you get the sense if they had had more time, mm-hmm. they might actually have been able... Because the first, like, half an hour, 40 minutes of it, it well, I find it, it's got a real kind of loopy charm. I and, think
0: they could have sliced it in half. And style-wise. all of...
1: And all of that, but then you could just see. It's like, okay, the writers did not know where to go with it. Um, and, of course, shoehorning the songs in, which was increasingly becoming an imperative. And I
0: think if you take the songs out, and, and I mean, I, I love uh, Edge of Reality, even though it's a weird dream sequence, and the little little less conversation. conversation, hello fans of Ocean's Eleven, that's yeah. the remix, you take those out, it's a Tony Curtis film.
1: It is in a lot of ways, Tony and Tony Curtis, Curtis was one of Elvis's early idols, too. right? And this is because
0: so. this is the kind of kind of lightweight romantic comedy that Curtis was stuck in until the Boston Strangler, yeah. Um, so this one, I it's okay, and then yeah, there's there's. You mean
1: Boston Strangler was not a lightweight romantic comedy? It depends on who you talk to, really. <laughs> right. um, okay,
0: but but yeah, there's also he winds up getting the the two jobs. I didn't
1: sleep for two years after seeing that movie, so <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke, folks.
0: <laughs> that's over Boston Strangler, but yeah, yeah there's, there's a magazine that's not Playboy, and then there's another no. magazine that's not Vogue. Oh, Rudy, and, Valley is, Ru- yeah, Rudy Valley, which is a
1: reference, you know that. So it's
0: it's he's older it's it's yeah he's not he's not 20 he's not 25
1: but the other thing that yeah and also there is for the first time i think in in elvis films a real attempt uh to deal with the question of of sex you know in a way that is not um you know, uh, it, to use the, the cliché from film criticism and all of the other movies, it's like they could have been made in the 1940s where the kiss is the climax. Correct. You know, um, in this one, you have Elvis and his leading lady sharing a bed now. Again, using the the uh, sort of uh, forty style conventions, they have a board separating them. <laughs> Thank you, um, it happened one night. And she makes, uh, you know... There's even some comedic byplay where you know she says she got a splinter and he says you know that's what you get for trying to climb fences <laughs> um, and and all of that. So, but then there is a moment when uh, you know when they they have resolved their differences and it looks like there's going to be a romance where the board gets thrown away and yep. it's clear okay the kiss is not going to be the climax Correct. this time.
0: And sometimes a board is just a piece of wood. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Next,
2: 1969,
0: Charo, the spaghetti western attempt in the United States.
1: Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's okay.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's two... different.
0: If anything, I think there was that kind of relief of you know, if you if you've been starving and you get a Ritz, I yeah. guess, you know, it's the best Ritz cracker. But after you know, so like, it's not. This comes after the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and the the way Django, and the wave of Italian. Uh, Westerns, and they tried to make one in the United States,
1: yeah, and the you know the direction is uh, basic to you know to, <laughs> that's about Mindless. the best you can say about <laughs> about about that um you know again, you get a sense the guy is trying yes. uh Victor French is in it, and yeah. you know by the time he's done, there's not a piece of scenery uh <laughs> left standing <laughs> within a two hundred mile radius. The man must have been really hungry before he came to work.
0: Uh, I wish, you know, maybe not Sergio Carbucci or, yeah. you know, maybe Burt Kennedy or somebody who else who would have done Western, maybe more Westerns. Uh, yeah,
1: because that, it's also around the time that, uh, you know, James Garner was doing those delightful stories. That's sprees. true. Yep. Uh, support your local gunfighter, support your local sheriff mm-hmm. that were um, skin still game hilarious. And yeah. Scalp
0: hunters, so all of them. Yeah. So almost, almost. Next
2: The Trouble with Girls.
0: Odd one, and it's really different, strange. and it's it's set in a Chautauqua, and Elvis is the head of sh- the Chautauqua. I believe he only has one number: key, uh, "Clean up your own backyard," but there's a couple of well, they episodic- do. They do.
1: He sings in the sort of gospel thing too: that's, "Swing well, Down right. Sweet Chariot," that's and true. all of that. That's
0: true. Uh, but there's you know, Vincent Price has a cameo, and there's Dabney, a young Dabney Coleman, and there's oh, yeah. kids, and I mean, it's it's this Cherry North, Sherry North. That's right. Uh, but there's 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 this almost ensemble piece but it doesn't really connect as an ensemble for the most part marilyn mason marilyn, is no, is right.
1: the you know and again it's there's an attempt um to sort of mature it i mean at one point you know they're having a discussion where the, there's a sense of reproachment and he's rubbing your shoulders and suggests maybe we should continue this conversation you know somewhere else with a block of wood (laughs) yeah or or not or not um but and but again it's like all the detail every they make some attempts uh to to make it a 1920s period piece and all of that and yet he shows up in a cream white suit uh, with flaring, uh, you know, flaring pant legs, Shellac and, hair. Well, shellacked hair, and you know, and the return of the mutton, mutton chop side sideburns, uh, and all of all of that. And you know, it, it's like again, you know, if you're going to do it, commit to it.
0: There's a there's a great uh that same year in the in the commentary track for uh, True Grit. Yeah. There is a there's a film historian and the western historian and I always remember on Glenn Campbell's first entrance you hear the western historian go yeah that's a western haircut yeah <laughs> just,
1: well and what, I hope we're going to talk about might have been's because uh, apparently that was uh, the Glenn Campbell part was one that Elvis was considered for
0: man that's yeah that's a good what could've yeah so we'll get to those yeah next. Change of habit. All right, this is currently my daughter's favorite. Mm-hmm. It is uh, Mary Tyler Moore as everyone's favorite undercover nun. <laughs> so
1: Barbara she, McNair. Ba-
0: oh, fine Barbara, yeah, too, Barbara yeah. McNair as well. But it's it's um, it's Universal's attempt to uh, to look at a serious look at the counterculture. You have Ed Asner as a racist sheriff, uh, racist police well, officer. Well, actually,
1: no. He's he's the under, he's understanding. He, you know, it's the the man, the banker, who is the evil guy. This there.
0: is why John is here, folks. Yeah, uh, no. shot on the Universal lot. Um, everyone's favorite ghetto doctor, Doctor John Carpenter, who, of course, directed Elvis. The miniseries with Kurt Russell. Yeah, that was, well, and again, he's, he's
1: he's an incredibly expensively dressed Ghetto Doctor too, <laughs> which you know just adds to the ambiance um, of the experience. My
0: daughter and I, our favorite moment, and this is we we dedicate this to Jenny McCarthy, is the the little girl who has autism, oh. and Elvis is going to hold her and and hold her and love her until all the autism is run out of her. Yes,
1: it is. <laughs> That that scene is God. is both painful and hypnotic to watch. It goes um, on. It, it does it, go it's, on. It's pretty much a masochist dream, I think. Yeah, you know, it's. It's like
0: uh, Costner at the end of Tinseltown. Yeah. It's just, it's oh,
1: going. it's uh, it's really really, um, you know. But again, there are. There are moments there. I I
0: love the title track. I do, too. Um, Let Us Pray is not a bad way to end a film. Um,
1: But again, you know, and this is one of those things, it falls into the John Lennon category of, uh, you know, we're bigger than Jesus kind of thing. Because if you watch that, uh, uh, and again, spoiler alert for a movie that's almost 50 years old here, at the end of the movie, Mary Tyler Moore has returned to the convent um, but she is really, really troubled because she has developed feelings for Elvis's character, and the ultimate you know, love triangle. The mother superior says, "You're never going to be clear in your heart unless you meet with this man again and come." And so she goes to see uh, Elvis performing, <laughs> um, you know, sort of a rock mass <laughs> at uh, at the Catholic yep. church. Um, And the whole thing is set in New York, by the way. And uh, the final scene, I kid you not, is Mary Tyler Moore, torn. She's looking at Elvis singing, Let Us Pray, and then they cut to images of Jesus. Elvis, Jesus, Elvis, Jesus. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, that's it. It's like the level of comparison. I suspect the only reason that... Uh, that did not become a source of controversy at the time, is very few people saw it. Yeah. Um. So, in part because of what was going on with his career, there outside of the movies that uh, he was doing much more interesting stuff.
0: Yeah. You know? Uh and Easy Rider was in theaters and this oh, yeah. Yeah, this was this was again this was the uh Universal trying to do uh the counterculture. There there's two guys yeah. who are so not the Black Panthers and there's almost a riot on the Universal lot. Um Oh yeah, the the, and the, the, the Puerto Rican ra- or the rapist guy who goes after Mary Tyler Moore. The
1: African American actors there were like right out of Hollywood shuffle. Correct. Yeah, yeah. it was
0: it's rough, but yeah, pretty pretty good couple songs yeah. like Mary Tyler Moore and the well, weird, actually the Mary, weird love triangle.
1: <laughs> Mary Tyler Moore and Elvis actually had quite a bit of chemistry. Yeah. I thought that that worked, and the scenes with Ed Asner just popped. I mm-hmm. mean, you could see, and and apparently that's how he came to be cast on the Mary Tyler Moore show because that. They filmed that right before they started production on the Mary Tyler Moore Show.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, you can thank your Saturday Night CBS Fest, a part of it, because of Change of habits. That's it. Now, McKenna, I know there's two that are not on there because they are documentaries, but the following year, we had, I'm sorry, from 1970, <laughs> Elvis, That's the Way It Is, um, which... There are two. There is the the regular theatrical version, and then when it came out on DVD, there was a director's cut. The dire, and it's about Elvis rehearsing with his band, well, with his band and the orchestra, um, his Vegas uh, residency at the the International. So he'd already done mm-hmm. the '68 special. Um, he had already started doing Vegas shows, if I remember correctly, or if, I can't remember yeah, if this was no, the yeah. or yeah,
1: no, this was he. He'd started in '69, okay. and then he came back in February of '70, and I think they filmed in the in the summer of '70. Okay.
0: So we see the rehearsal process, which I don't think had been captured in a music documentary at this no. time. So when my daughter, at the height of her Hannah Montana phase, this was very enlightening for her because, well, let us if you see shows, especially sitcoms about rock bands, you'll see a whole lot of rehearsal. You see the aftermath of the rehearsal. Yeah. And, and the fact is, you know, the first half of the film is working on these songs, you know, bantering amongst one another. In the director's cut, they take out kind of the infomercial for the hotel. Yeah. And then the second half is the performance, which 1970 Elvis – with the jumpsuit, with the covers, still pretty, still pretty fun. Oh yeah,
1: well, and some of it is—you could tell. I mean, he—he he did look like a man who had been released at, yep. at that at that point. Um, you know, and even the covers uh, were great. I mean, yeah. the, the versions that. That he did of of Creedence Clearwater's "Proud Mary," uh, you know, you gave me a mountain, really powerful. That comes a little later, but mm-hmm. but uh, you know, uh, are just really, and you can tell again there is this reverence for what came before, um, and the the versions, but he makes them into into something else, uh, you know, the showstopper for um. That film for that that stand in Vegas uh, was his cover of the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that love and feeling, yep. and that's a really powerful moment. in whichever version of the of of the documentary you see, um, but you know it bears little resemblance to to the one that Bobby Hatfield and Bill Medley did. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part, you know, theirs was kind of a call and response thing. Uh, a, a classic soul mm-hmm. thing and his is, is just something else altogether. Correct.
0: And I think it, it always reminds me of when you see stand-up comics make the transition from film and we, we talk Richard Pryor, Chris Rock, anybody yeah. else with that that most of the time you would only get sadly maybe 10 or 20% of what they're actually capable of and that's kind of like this watching this film yeah. is that after after a decade of you know, hits and misses and near mm. near hits and everything, that, yeah, he finally gets back to what he wants to do and lets loose, yeah. no matter no matter what the song choices were, and it was just yeah. fun to watch.
1: Well, and most of, uh, at that point, the song choices, because he was still riding high, I mean, he'd done the 68 Comeback Special, which we, we've we talked about, and then he went into American Studios and worked with Chip's Moment, uh, and probably came up with the single best album he ever did from Elvis... In Memphis, nice. and then they had enough cuts left over for another great album called Back in Memphis. Yep. But again, you get into the, the whole marketing strategy thing. Uh, you know, they've got this superb studio album and, you know, left uh, the the second part of the, the Memphis sessions and his Vegas opening in 69 um, that I gather, you know, he was completely wild and uninhibited. Uh, he was all over the stage and all of that. Uh, and the colonel figures, okay, we maybe we could milk these both. And he releases them as a completely incoherent double album. You've got the yep. live show completely truncated. A lot of the songs taken out. And then um, back in Memphis as sort of the second thing, but there's no thematic coherence or anything like that. Nothing about what... What he might have been trying to do there. Mm-hmm. So you know,
0: this also led to 200 to 250 shows a year. Oh yeah, and, which
1: ultimately you know killed him. Killed him. Yeah, and the, and and all of that because the the uh, the performances you can tell in in uh, that's the way it is. He's still really alive and in tune. The recording sessions are still really really strong, even though once again he has tremendous sex success with uh, Chip's moment and of course the colonel's answer is well, let's not have him work with Chip's moment ever again. So.
0: So. And, and finally in the filmography section, <laughs> 1972's Elvis on Tour, a cinematic postcard, souvenir I guess of uh, what Elvis was doing in the early 70's on the road.
1: It is, well you can see also kind of the disintegration, what's uh, you know what was happening to him um, Because, uh, what uh, you know, there's a reference at the beginning um, that says that, uh, uh, you know, the 1972 presidential primaries are going on. The comic uh, Mm -hmm. makes that, which means then that uh, it's being shot maybe a year and a half, not quite a year and a half after that's the way it is. But he looks at least five or six years older yep. at that point, um, and
0: it's also count the jumpsuits.
1: Yeah, and you can count, uh, you can see the, the fatigue and so, and you know, even if the arrangements um, are much stepped up and much more hurried of some of the old hits, in that's the way it is. At least he's delivering them with conviction. And you can tell, uh, you know, by this point, because he's been on the road for so long, it's like, okay, I'm I'm going to get through Don't Be Cruel for, you know, the 556th time I've sung it in the past six months so I can get to this new song that I really want to do.
0: Yep. And it was uh, Martin Scorsese was one of the montage editors on this film. Yes. And uh yeah. documentary nomination, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, it was. And, and
1: you know what? It is a revealing s- slice. I mean, there, there are moving moments. Like, you know, they capture him retreating upstairs and just singing gospel. Yep. Uh, and, again, you can just see the kind of release for the guy that he's out from under it for a little while.
0: Yep. So so that's the film that's the Elvis filmography and you you alluded to one I guess the the bigger what could have been you mentioned True Grit what about A Star Is Born
1: Yeah well that's the the big one because that would have come near the end of his life Yep um and at least the story is that Barbara Streisand and her then domestic partner John Peters came to to see him and Elvis, one of his buddies, Jerry Schelling, uh, stepped into a closet in his dressing room so that everybody else would. And they pitched the story to him. He got really, really excited about it and wanted to do it. The colonel saw that as a threat. Um, And, you know, to be fair, there probably were some doubts about whether Elvis and Barbara Streisand could have worked together um, right. effectively. Uh, we heard you breathe together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, on the other hand, uh, for those who are not familiar with the story, um, you know, the, the, it is about a huge star who becomes involved with a younger woman uh, who then begins her rise to become a star as his is falling. And and you know, it's it's sort of a doomed love story. Elvis would have been the older star whose yeah. whose star would have been. He was not the star whose star was going to be born as part. No, of, that uh,
0: is correct. So, so he would.
1: And one of the the uh, the problems with the Streisand version of the film, it had been done a couple of times before. Yeah. I always thought was, I just never believed that Chris Christopherson was on his way down.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it yeah. just uh,
1: and you know. Uh, it would have been interesting to see if Elvis could have pulled that off yep. at, at that stage of, and would have been willing to expose because apparently he had very, very real fears at that time that the music world, the entertainment world, uh, you know, were leaving him behind.
0: One of the stories, like, by 1974, this is after the Aloha, the, the Hawaii broadcast, that when, when the weight started to show that he, there was some shows he didn't want to be photographed is that right
1: yeah i've I heard that although it's interesting and it 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 shows that it's sort of cliche in 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 our business that the, how much weight the camera adds mm-hmm. because if you go to Graceland um and yes i have been to Graceland um and they have a lot of you know the outfits the jumpsuits the stage yeah. outfits he he wore and one of the things that is is shocking as you get to the stuff like the the famous gold sun, the one that he wore here in Indianapolis for the last show. Uh, when we think um, that he, you know, was just almost you know, morbidly obese or whatever, and look at that, and I'd say 90% of American men, there's no way they could slide into that thing. Uh, and, you know, which makes you realize, A, in the days... You know, like for the '68 um, TV special, when you know, all <laughs> he, leather, well, all leather, and he's so thin that he had cheekbones you could shave with, you know, uh, and all of that. Uh, that he must have just been a toothpick at that
0: point, mm-hmm. yeah. As I, you know, we that was before the famous food story started to yeah. bubble up to the surface, Well,
1: the fried peanut butter and banana, banana sandwiches, sandwiches and, and you realize you know i think someone did that and calculated the calories in just one of those oh, God. and each one of them was like 1600 calories so uh, you realize you know, two of those and you're <laughs> your <a> nap <laughs> yeah yeah
0: so so you and you mentioned uh you mentioned True Grit. were there other offers that you Well you, were, that you, you know of? i think
1: uh, there were whispers um uh, that at one point they they were kind of looking at him for the John Voight Part Midnight Cowboy, which would have been really interesting. Um, now, whether you know is a good Southern boy from a religious background, he could have played a gay hustler. Um, <laughs> you know, is is an interesting question. And at in one of its many iterations, uh, his name was associated with uh, with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think seriously. It's sort of like. Yeah, because for Reynolds that, being considered for James Bond. Yeah, they bounced. You know that uh, that screenplay bounced around and the concept bounced around for so long mm-hmm. that uh, there was that. But you know, uh, I mean, at one point he was also being considered for West Side Story, um, which yeah might have been an interesting choice too, and certainly forced him to think more seriously about what he was doing on film.
0: Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the entire filmography. McKenna, you're, you've been scribbling notes furiously on where to start, where not yeah. to start. So <laughs> they're all available. Go go, take a look. But, uh, but yeah, there's some fun stuff, and there's some bad stuff, and there's some good, and there's some bad, and there's some ugly. Yeah. Um, you yeah. just have to figure that out, I think, for yourselves. So. And
1: if you want to, just go out there and reconstruct Hell's Top Top 40 for So We're getting yeah. you back on the show for that. So <laughs> right. John, thank you so much. Thanks very much. It was a pleasure talking with you
0: because it is Elvis' birthday on January the 8th, and the fact that we didn't have a show last week, so you get two shows in one. You get a a longer show. That's uh, John Krull along with McKenna Mays uh, breaking down every single film Elvis Presley ever made. So happy birthday, Elvis, and it's always good to hear John, and it's always good to hear McKenna. Friends, some words to live by.
1: Silent breed is people!
0: Zardoz has has spoken. spoken. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. There's plenty out there. Keep looking. Keep finding stuff that uh, is new or new to you, as well as falling back on old f- favorites. We'll, we'll re- I'll read your uh, titles that you've watched, uh, no matter what, it, old or new, on next week's program. So hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you're staying sane. Hope you're being good to one another out there. Stay strong. Hang in there, and uh, I'll chat with you next week. Take care, everybody. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film podcast here at WFYI.org. Good afternoon, Fort Myers. Good afternoon, California. Good afternoon, Michigan. I can't believe you let her watch Manos. Is she scarred for life? Let's put it this way. When I parent are you? (laughs) When I wake her up, I vocalize the theme to wake her up to get her ready to school. Oh, you're a terrible father. (laughs) We'll do it live. Okay. We'll... We'll do it live!